0: have, I got a story for you. Quickly realizing there are thousands of 6'2 shooting guards who can't shoot, today's guest decided to focus his God-given, and never going to be as good as his mama's, athletic ability into mastering a more physical, hands-on, belt-oriented athletic and business endeavor. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Andre Psyche. Yes, dear, faithful, loyal listeners, the rumors are true. AndrePsyche.com is dead. But Andre Psyche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is alive and thriving. You see, Andre's adopted a minimalistic lifestyle as far as materialistic things go, like websites, cars, his hair. However, his creative libido is fully stimulated, no way minimalistic, and viewable on most social media platforms. You see, Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, that's P-S-Y-C-H-E, the next time you're looking to friend or follow someone outside of your social circle. We are also brought to you by STAIRS, the perfect answer to what does C squared equal? How else, dear listener, would you prefer to ascend some elevated distance? Cargo nets? Are you really going to lug a couch up a ladder? Stairs are the perfect way to minimize lost floor space without giving up any of the ease and comfort of leisurely climbing. Plus, how else are your calves going to get toned? Here's another question for you. Are you feeling generous with your time? Do you have five seconds to spare? Want to spend $2 and support the Getting to Know You pod? Go to our Patreon, search getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod, and become a subscriber. Here are a couple of free, not that your time's not valuable, monetarily free ways to support the pod. You can push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to us on. Friend and follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to Apple, write a review. Those cost nothing but your time and are extremely appreciated by us. And finally, We are looking for sponsors and advertisers. If you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast is downloaded coast to coast in the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, just to name drop some countries. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever. Just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting
1: to know you. Getting
0: to know all about you.
1: I'm going to do a terrific show today.
0: Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me.
1: Because I'm good enough.
0: Getting to know you. Putting
1: it my way. I'm smart enough. You are precisely my cup of
0: tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Pete. Pete, who is coming to us from Georgia and is a very humble co owner of PTC Combat Fitness. Pete, so glad you are coming on the pod, letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, We were talking, whatever, for like a couple minutes before, and I asked, are you the owner, are you the P, in PTC Combat Fitness? And you told me that you had wound up getting injured training, and that's kind of how you got into this partnership?
1: Yeah, so I had uh, had a few MMA fights, and uh, I was getting ready for another fight, and it was just a fluke injury where I was uh, grappling with a guy, and I kind of did a face plant, and for 30, 40 seconds, I couldn't stand up. We happened to have a doctor, in orthopedic, that trained with us at the time. He came over there and checked me out. My C4 and 5 had actually gotten shoved into my spinal cord. And so I ended up having to have my neck fused. And they told me I could go back to fighting. But at that point, I was like 29, 30 years old. uh, So I just decided that I enjoyed walking more than I enjoyed fighting.
0: (laughs) And how many days do you wake up to regret choosing walking over fighting?
1: (laughs) Oh, actually, every day, because I would give anything I could to go back to fight. Gotcha. And and not to say I would have been a world champion or anything like that close, but I always tell people there's no feeling in the world like being in front of a crowd and beating another man. Um, that's an adrenaline you can't find doing many other things.
0: It's it. So I coach middle school um, basketball, and not uh-huh. that me as a middle school boys basketball coach or is anything as tough as an MMA fighter, but. The gyms are very small, and when they get packed, you know, 200 people could fill a middle school gym.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if a game is tight and it's intense, like there, there are very few adrenaline rush feelings. Now I've never been skydiving or anything like that, but the the com- competition in that case to me gets me going. I couldn't imagine hand to hand like that. That would definitely be elevated.
1: Yeah, I agree. I love anything competition wise. You know, I grew up playing sports. I grew up on a farm. Um, I always tell people that I grew up on a farm and I act like I actually did things on the farm, but I never did. I'm probably the, <laughs> I probably know as little about farming and living in the country as anyone um, because all I ever did was play sports. Uh, but I like to act like I grew up working on the farm, but I didn't. I grew up, you know, watching the prices right or whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. The lazy farmer. <laughs> yeah.
1: I always tell people, oh, I used to have to bale hay. And I think I have like thrown two bales of hay on the back of a truck before. And then been like, oh, it is so hot out here. I need to go inside.
0: How did, were you just bored on the farm getting into MMA fighting or did you know so, a sports um, family?
1: Yeah, everybody in my family played sports. And um, that's all I did growing up was play sports. The, I, t- I always tell people a funny story. Um, When I was playing high school, I was very good. And I had an older gentleman come up to me one time, and um, he said, Pete, you're one of the best athletes I've ever seen. He said, but you will never be able to touch your mom. So out of all the guys in my family, and a a few of them played pretty high-level sports um, in college and things like that, uh, we did. But my mom is probably the best athlete in my entire family.
0: And was she the farmer, or was your dad the farmer?
1: No. So my mom grew up on a farm. Um, but she played ball her whole life. And then, uh, my dad got killed in a car accident when I was one on his way to work. Uh, so she had to kind of slow down on playing sports and stuff and raise us. But like I said, I was on a big farm where my entire family lived, my grandparents, my uncles. So there were, there were, there were men around gotcha. to keep me in line. If my mom couldn't do it, which my mom could do it. So <laughs> there was no need for my uncles.
0: Was she training to be like a professional athlete when so you said playing what i
1: have heard at the time they were going to try to start the women's professional leagues back up uh kind of like a league of their own the movie For uh in the
0: baseball or football yeah yep
1: yep I don't know and why. in the mid to late 70s and she was one of the first women they had gotten in contact with um but she, my father had just died so she couldn't do that um but my mom was a crazy athlete and up until a few years ago I could throw a baseball as hard as I could and she would be 65 66 and she would still catch it like it's nothing. Um, but yeah, she was an unbelievable athlete.
0: Man that's, that's – I always get people I always get people I always get jealous of people not that they don't have to work hard, but when you're when you're around athletes who don't have to work hard to be athletic, I, I just hate them. I, I get so jealous.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing I always tell people. So, um, being talented kind of backfires on you a lot of times because when you get to a certain level, you have been getting away with talent your whole life, right? So you weren't having to work as hard as other guys. Well, all of a sudden you get to a certain level and now everyone is that talented, but those guys are usually willing to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're not used to having to work hard. So all those guys pass you by. Um, I, I got out of college and I, I got a regular nine to five and um, I had always liked the idea of fighting. And so I just started training at a local jujitsu gym in Atlanta. And so I was driving from my hometown to Atlanta six days a week, which is about an hour drive. And I was training and, one thing led to another and I said, you know, this, this is fun. I'd like to see how, how well I can fight. That turned into me training to, to, to fight. And I had a handful of fights, pro fights, and I was undefeated until I got injured. That's kind of when I stepped out and, uh, luck, luck have it. I ran into the gentleman that we opened a gym.
0: How big is the MMA scene down there? I, I know. Uh, it's nothing. pretty,
1: it, no, it's, 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 if you compare it to other states, it's, it's pretty big. A lot of the top jiu-jitsu schools in the U.S. are here. So for a, for a long time, Alliance was the number one jiu-jitsu school in the world. Their American headquarters is here. That's where I had started training, and they have been here since 96, I think. Herberto uh, Traven, who is my coach, he has been here since about 2006. Uh, American top team, a bunch of the, 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 the best fighters in the world train here. Uh, Douglas Lima, who's the Bellator champ. A lot of those guys train in Atlanta, so it's a great fight scene. A lot of top schools here to train with, and I mean, that's something, even though, you know, I had surgery, I still train as hard as I possibly can three, four, five days a week.
0: It's just, I've always heard this, like the the courtesy of when you're like, have a trusted rolling partner, and are you able to do that because you can is it like you trust, trust the guy to not hurt you or you trust yourself to tap quicker because it's not a real fight?
1: No, I trust myself to not get in a bad position. Okay. Um, but I, I still do everything I do. And the doctors told me my neck is fine. Their example was Peyton Manning. They were okay. like, Peyton Manning's neck was worse than yours. And he went back to playing in the NFL. They were like, just try to be smart about certain things like getting stacked on your neck. So when I get in positions like that, I'll either get myself out of the position or just tap. Gotcha. And I always tell people, uh, you're more likely to get hurt with an inexperienced guy than a guy that's been training for a long time because they're not wild. They don't spa- they're don't they not spastic. Um, so so that's a good thing. And, and I try to train with everyone. Um, I just try to not put myself in a bad position.
0: Yeah, I, I feel, and I'm not, I, when, when I talk to... Um... I don't want to say tough, masculine kind of a thing, but when I talk to tough and masculine dudes, I wonder, I've never been in a caged fight like that. And I don't know what would happen within me. I want to feel like I would be competitive as hell and try to like get through the pain. I feel like I would put myself in positions that I felt like I could get out of and probably like get my arm broken, but I would want to fight. But then at the same time, I'm like, dude, I've never felt that pain. I might be like tapping within 10 seconds.
1: No, I tell people this, if I told you that you had a fight today, you would get in there and you would, tr- as hard as possible, want to win the fight.
0: You think the so, The difference huh? That's is, just in, huh, in everyone, everyone,
1: everyone, it's, huh. it's everyone, because in your mind, it's a life or death thing. But the difference is, did you want to win this fight so bad that 10 weeks ago, you started watching everything you eat? You started putting in as much work as you could put in. You quit drinking. You quit going out at night. You quit eating at restaurants. You were sleeping eight, 10 hours a night. You were drinking a couple gallons of water a day. That's the difference in the guys that are super successful and the guys that are just okay. Gotcha. The commitment to 10 weeks of every single day doing everything you can to make sure you're going to be successful is the difference between the world champions. And the guys that are just middle of the pack because a lot of guys uh even in this gym we will have guys that train three four five days a week but they're not strictly watching what they eat. right and you know they're young guys so they still like to go out on the weekends and i try to explain if you want to be super successful you have to be so committed to being successful
0: yeah the the that, that's funny, man, because I do think to my younger days too, you know, you could almost not sleep at night and just roll out of bed and I, I, I would equate it to working, right? Like I grew up in restaurants, I'm working doubles. I felt like I could work 80 hours a week, eat like shit, never really sleep, drink while I'm working. And I felt like I was super high functioning. And I, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if you almost like fasted and committed to, to be like going back to basic training, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. And almost that's like better sleep. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is you, to be so committed to something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tell people all the time uh, that come in the gym and they want to lose weight or whatever it may be. And I said, look at the people that are successful, whether it is bodybuilding or the NBA or baseball or football or whatever, how these guys can prepare every day. And they are so committed that they will eat the same meal, whether it is chicken, broccoli, sweet potato and rice morning noon and night because they know that puts their body in the best position to be successful and not many people can be so committed to something because let's face it grilled chicken broccoli sweet potato that gets old and yeah. at night myself you know all of a sudden oh I want a cookie and <laughs> no you know when you want to be a successful fighter you can't do that
0: I'm surprised that the 10 week number to be is, is that just like an almost like an industry no, are
1: like eight to ten weeks. That
0: seems Usually so guys short. put in
1: a camper eight to 10 weeks. Golly well, God. you got to think. Um, so for instance, I walk around at 215 pounds, six to about 215. When I would fight, I would fight at 185. Holy so shit. 30 pounds, you don't want to cut all that in water. So you want to get down to about 10 pounds above 10, 15 pounds, and then cut all that water out. So it takes time to lose the weight so that you're just not, you know, depleting and and so dehydrated that it's making yourself sick.
0: Okay. And is there a formula for typically in a camp you'll lose two pounds a day that you can count on that's not water weight?
1: Everyone is different. Some guys can drop weight like crazy. And if you look at some of the top fighters in the world, they walk around at 200 pounds and they fight at 145. Now, a lot of these state athletic commissions have, have started putting rules into place to where they can only lose a certain percentage of weight And that's to try to keep the guys from being so dehydrated. Some guys have had some kidney issues, things like that. So they put rules in the place to where you can only cut a certain amount of weight.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I've heard about that for, um, like high school wrestlers, you know, where you're, Uh you have to be in a certain weight class or whatever you weigh in at the beginning of the season, you have to stay within so much by the end. I didn't, I didn't think like professionally though, or if people are training and you're grown, that that would be a concern.
1: Yeah, so I know in the state of Georgia, I had a couple of guys that have fought in the last month, and I think a week or two before they fought, they had to take a video of themselves getting on the scale to see how much they weigh to make sure they weren't they weren't 10% above uh, what their fight weight was. So if they were 185, you know, they couldn't be 215 at the time. Gotcha. How,
0: explain to me a little bit, because you seem um... – um, the most educated person I've spoken to in Georgia <laughs> about MMA stuff. Like I'm trying to, I, I think of NBA, then G league. Then you have like mm-hmm. foreign leagues. And, but I, I, I think we might have a professional team in Delaware, but I, I don't know. I, I can't rate them. Did you know what I'm saying? So I'm interested oh, yeah. in like, is there are the, what are the levels like down there for fighters who are trying to train? Yeah.
1: So the, the main one in Georgia, and it's the only one I know of is called the NFC. And he has been putting on shows for 15 or 20 years, and the guy does an amazing job. And there will be guys, a 1,000 to 1,500 people in the stands pre-COVID. Oh, wow. Uh, since then, there's been 700 or 800 just because of some of the, the, the rules in place. But guys that have fought in his shows have gone to the UFC, have gone to Bellator, the two major ones. There's guys in the UFC right now, Jafiel Sunsal, who started in the NFC. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that have done that, and the guy puts on a great show. His name's David Ogloss, Been doing it forever. Super nice guy.
0: And do you get scouted to get to UFC? The only thing, only way I saw people get onto UFC was that like reality show that they had, which I thought was what was that Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great idea, like great marketing.
1: You know, great idea, and that that caused the boom in the MMA at the time. But a lot of what happens for a lot of guys is something will happen and a guy can't fight and they need a fighter on two weeks notice. Uh, And they will call these local fighters and say, if you agree to accept this on two weeks notice, we will sign you to a three or four fight deal. And uh, since you're helping us out, we will give you three other fights that you can have a full camp. So that's what happens with a lot of these guys or a lot of guys will be big time guys that end up being 14 and two or 14 and one. And their name has kind of become big, and the UFC looks to sign guys like that. Gotcha.
0: And you had said you were undefeated. So how close? Yeah, I was
1: only I was only four and zero. But um, I had won all my fights in the first round. I had another fight coming up, and that's when I got injured. So I wanted to see how well I could do. I bet. But that was about it. It's just personal challenge and. I don't I tell this to guys that fight out of my gym. I don't understand these guys that fight on the local levels that are eight and five, right? Because you'd have no shot of going to the UFC. So all you're doing is taking damage to your body for a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, you know? And at that point, it's like, look, you see, you're not talented enough to go to the next level. What's the point of taking that much damage to your body for 1500 bucks? Dude.
0: What do they typically answer if they do? (laughs) Like, do they like the pain? Do they just want to stay in shape?
1: I think a lot of guys like the concept of fighting. And it's just something that they enjoy doing. But at that point, you have to weigh the risk versus the reward.
0: And if you're a... $1,500. Fifteen hundred. I didn't even think about that. So, how often are you fighting for the fifteen hundred dollars on a local level? Oh, a
1: couple times uh, two or three times a year. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it.
0: Oh wow. So then, if you what would a typical if you know or have an idea? Now, I'm. I would imagine the main events, the ones that you actually have to pay for on pay per view for UFC, they're making uh-huh. bank, bank, right? Like that's I would assume would be most people's goal.
1: Oh, they're they I mean, you got to think. John Jones and. Connor McGregor and guys like that, they're getting a percentage of the pay-per-view. Right. So I I think Connor has made thirty to fifty million before on a fight, just because they get a certain percentage of the pay-per-view.
0: So that call up on the two weeks notice, any idea? Is that like a twenty grand check? Or higher, or lower? Like, you what know, that you can to?
1: look those figures up. It used to be like 10 grand, but I think it's gone up substantially. And it may be substantially. I'm talking thirty thousand to forty thousand. Okay. God. So you know, and that's not that much money because then you have to pay your your trainer. Right. You have to pay taxes. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you end up taking eighteen, twenty thousand dollars home.
0: Yeah, but if you've jumped up from that fifth, I guess that's, in my mind, the perspective. You're making ten times as much, right? Over ten times as much. Oh, you exactly.
1: Win. You're making ten times as much, plus you have the three other fights yeah. that the UFC or Bellator has guaranteed you. And if you can win, you know, two or three, four of those fights, then the next contract, you can say, all right, well, I fought for you, I helped you out, and I made whatever it was, thirty dollars $40,000. Now I'd like... 80000 a fight. Right. You know, so, and they also get win bonuses, but it's only the, the main event guys that get a percentage of the pay-per-view, and it's only the champions and the big-time guys that get the humongous money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It's typical. Yeah. It's it's funny, man, like the meritocracy in sports, where it's like if you produce, you're getting paid.
1: You yeah, know? And, and a lot of guys, they, they like to complain and say that, oh, boxers make a lot more but they only see the big-time guys, the Floyd Mayweathers, the Manny Pacquiao's, the Canelo Alvarez, those guys like that. They're not seeing that the guys on the undercards of those guys are making the same thing the undercard on the UFC guys are making. Uh, okay. You know, Floyd's making giant money, but the guy that fought first and second on that card isn't making giant money. He might be making 5000 a show and $5,000 a win.
0: Yeah. Well, dude, it's funny. When you watch the undercards, actually, I think I ordered the Floyd-Connor- um, fight um uh, just because i wanted to see you know what connor would do and i forget how yeah. much it was whatever 70 dollars, but i was like dude if i'm paying 70 i'm like watching as soon as it comes on you know yeah. not that fight but the undercards as well i was shocked at how empty the stadium was for those undercards. like nobody's in there it seems like yeah, no one it's, really kind, it's kind of
1: like um if you were in college or whatever how everyone went out at 11 o'clock you know if you went out at nine o'clock and you didn't <laughs> see anyone out. You go out at eleven o'clock and then all of a sudden everything's <laughs> packed. Yeah. And people kind of look at fights that way. You know, on the local level, they're always packed. Right. Just because, you know, the local level it's a lot of family members and people you train with, things like that. But then when you get to the UFC, if you're fighting in Vegas or wherever it may be, unless you're training in Vegas, you're not going to have a lot of teammates and family mm-hmm. show up.
0: And I'm just thinking about that, too, because if you're struggling or if you're asking, trying to negotiate for more money and then like whatever in my head, I I don't know if this makes any sense. But if someone if I was a promoter and someone came to me and said, hey, man, I fought an undercard next fight, I want three times as much money. I would just like pull up a picture of the stadium when they were fighting and I'd be like, show me the people you brought in to get you four times the money. And I'll give yep. you that.
1: <laughs> exactly. I will say on the local level, one of the good things they do for fighters, they give fighters tickets and they get a percentage of the tickets they personally sell. Oh. Or, or they can go on, you know, the local MMA website and it will say, you know, you want to buy a ticket? What fighter are you coming to support? Gosh. And so then, you know, if you get 100 people to buy a ticket under your name, you get a percentage of that. So it allows those guys to make a little more money.
0: Dude, that's a great. I don't know who started thinking of that or figured that out as almost like an industry norm, but I love that as an idea.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea for small local shows because it gives the fighters incentives to to try to sell some tickets to make more money.
0: So, Does social media play a role in any of that? Like as far as people who have a lot of followers or anything? You know,
1: it's so weird because on the local scene, you see these guys get on Facebook and all that and they talk garbage and they talk trash and I think they, in their mind, they're trying to quote-unquote build their brand because they see guys like Chell Sonnen and the Diaz brothers do it. But on the local level, I think it turns a lot of people off because you're saying, hey, this guy's 2-0 and as an amateur or 2-1 and as an amateur. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing, man? It's like, just show up and fight. If you get to be 9-0, and 10-0, and you want to talk trash to someone, then do it. But you see a lot of these local guys trash talk each other and they will both have losing records. Yeah. And you're like, what's the point of this?
0: See, I took it a different – I wasn't thinking of the um, trash talking. I guess I was thinking more like trick videos or like sick training things or um like Street Fighter fin- Mortal Kombat type finishing moves where people would be encouraged, not so much like WWE. I'm not talking about like DDT hey, yeah. a DDT-a guy kind of a thing. <laughs> But something to the effect of you've been following this person training. You even pick up some cool workout routines. You like their vibe. And now I'm going to go watch them fight because, oh, shit, that's a great way to work on my core. Or, oh, man, no. you know what? That's like a really cool cross-training way to get cardio to burn 200 calories in 10 minutes kind of a thing.
1: No, I agree with you. And I actually um, I have one of my students that fought two weeks ago. And that was my idea for his next fight was to start videoing every day what you're doing to train, video what you're eating, video yeah right the cardio, video the grappling, the, the stand-up, everything we do, video it, and upload it to YouTube or so or any, you know, any social media so people can see you getting ready. And um, so maybe that's something he'll do next time.
0: Yeah. And do you think there'd be any disadvantage? And I would imagine on the professional level it would be way more because you'd probably have people like, paid to scout you know would, yeah
1: but you got to think on the professional level for those guys there's so much video of those guys anyway. anyway you know right
0: so but would that have any sort of effect on the amateur level like it's overexposure kind of a thing
1: i i don't think so because i think the majority of amateur fighters aren't talented enough at that point to be able to pick out what they oh, need to yeah, do right. now their coaches may see a certain thing and say hey you notice every time This guy throws his jab. He drops it and brings it back. So if you throw overhand right. So things like that might, you know. But to be honest with you, most coaches of amateur fighters aren't going to put in the time to do that for a guy that is doing his first amateur fight.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's really... I think of some of the pro athletes and I basically watch basketball and some football guys and like the crazy coordination shit that they start training now for like core balance. Yeah. Especially running backs. Like yeah. I'm so interested in LeBron James could be on a bubble catching marbles. You know, like they throw up five marbles and he has to pick out the green one with a chopstick. And I'm like, dude, we're trying that. Like let's Yeah,
1: let's those guys have tough. unbelievable workouts and they have unbelievable trainers that put those guys through specific drills all year long. Right. Um, And a lot of the top MMA guys do it as well. Like George St. Pierre guys like that all year long, they do it. The the exception I think is John Jones, who from what I've heard is so talented that he's kind of a freak and doesn't doesn't even really train hard except the camp before the fight. But other than that, they say he just trains here and there. Hmm. And that's just you know, the rumors I've heard. God, yeah,
0: right. Have you had um have you grappled with yourself any of these? And I guess if you're getting paid you are a professional fighter, right? Even if you're on the amateur level or the more low No, level? the amateur
1: level you don't get paid. I think those guys get some ticket sales. As a pro you get paid. Okay. And you know, it's whatever the guy I have I have grappled with some high level guys that uh I've rolled with Damian Maya, I've rolled with who fought in the UFC. Gilbert Burns, guys like that, Brian Stan a lot, uh, Ron Humphrey. He fought in the in Bellator, so I've grappled with a lot of those high level guys, or, or done stand up level with with guys like that, and they're just unbelievably talented.
0: Yeah. Can you help a layman like me <laughs> who just watches guys? Basically, you can tell that there's a strategy and a technique, and you can tell there's a shit ton of counters and thinking, and you're like, you're waiting to pounce on the weakness. Mm-hmm. But can you talk a little bit about not? It doesn't have to be specific about where you're at compared to them, but maybe what makes them that next level?
1: Uh, I one of the guys, uh, Douglas Lima, who's the champion at Bellator. The guy works out so hard and is so dedicated to being the best possible fighter he can be that. Uh, I don't see how he is not more injured because I've been, I've had like 10 or 12 surgeries and I was never one tenth of what he is, but that guy puts in the work to make himself so good. The guy has unbelievable calf kicks, unbelievable leg kicks, but he puts in the work. And I think 99% of the guys at that level, it's their work ethic that sets them apart. And I tell people this. So we've been in business, like I said, 11, 12 years and I've trained with, thousands and thousands of guys I have seen one guy one American that I've trained with that legit had a chance to be a world champion in jiu-jitsu and do well in MMA so out of all the guys I've trained with I've seen one American and what I what I mean by that is because he started young enough you know MMA it's just gotten huge in the last 10 or 12 years So a lot of guys got involved in later in life. You know, I was mid-20s, so I was already kind of over the top. He got started young enough. He had the talent, and he had the work ethic. But then all of a sudden he got to 20, and then he started getting interested in girls
0: and going (laughs) out
1: and partying. And instead of training six days a week, then it was down to three days a week. Then it was down to one day a week. And that's the difference. These guys are so dedicated. So you have to have the talent. You have to have the great coaching, and you have to have the dedication to want to be a a, a top level guy, and that's with any sport. Yeah, you know there, anything in life heard, to
0: be honest with you, right? Yeah, like anything business,
1: business, anything, yeah. you know. Um, so that's the difference, and same with boxing gyms. I tell guys all the time, these boxing gyms, they're just waiting on that one guy to come in the gym that has the talent. Because all the other guys are just paying the bills.
0: All the other guys <laughs> are just like paying him.
1: the bills because, you know, every men, for some reason, we think that we can fight. You know, it's like people just assume football players can fight. Yeah. And I have no idea why they do that. And I tell people fighting is a learned skill. It's not something you just know how to do. And, you know, it's the same with anything. We just think we can do something. So guys go into MMA gyms or boxing gyms. And they just assume they know how to do it.
0: I'm curious when someone drops, cause I've thought about this and I don't know, man, like I've, uh, I injured my back doing yard work the other day. I'm in decent, decent shape. I jog pretty regularly, you know, whatever. I got a little workout routine. I'm not swole or anything, but I like my back started hurting and I was like, what the fuck is this dude? You're picking up pavers and now your back's tight for a week. So I'm scared to death at, I'll be 40 this summer to go into a gym. But that's in what you described right there is the same thing in me. Not that I think like I'm going in there, kick anyone's ass, but I'm like, it would be fun and it would be nice to learn this new skill it would be challenging for me.
1: If you started doing jujitsu, it would change your life. And I say that for this reason, if you've ever played sports or done anything in college where you're around a bunch of guys or whatever. In sports, when you retire or quit or whatever, it's not necessarily the sport you miss. Yeah. It's the camaraderie yeah. of being around a bunch of guys, of shooting the shit, you know, of talking trash with each other back and forth. And when you start jiu-jitsu, 99% of people love the sport. All of a sudden, they're learning new things, and it's hard. It's, it's the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. And I tell people, if you can make yourself stick with it, everything else in your life will seem so much easier because when you have a guy choking you or you have, you know, <laughs> if, if, if I'm 215 pounds, and when I start, there's a guy 135 pounds and he's whooping my ass, man, that's an ego tester. Right. Because if I'm 215, like I said, guys, we just think we're tough. We think we can at least handle ourselves, And then you got this little guy just whooping your ass for you. A lot of guys can't handle that ego wise. But if you stick with it and you're like, well, if I oh, learn what this guy knows, then think about how much better I can be than him. I so
0: I mean j- just me in general, man. Am I gonna break my hip at 40 no. years old as a as a jogger? Like no. think of think of me as a 5k all-star in my yeah, local so, level.
1: <laughs> so the guy that helped me start the gym, he is 70 and he trains jujitsu. I have another guy that is 67. He trains jujitsu no and shit. I tell everyone in this gym, the most important person in this gym is your training partner. Cause if you do something to hurt them, all of a sudden you don't have a training partner and other guys don't want to train with you. Uh, and we have a great group of guys here, the young guys, they know when they go with the older guys, I'm going to tone it down a level. We're going to work technique. We're going to let the older guy work. It's not an ego thing in here. Gotcha. And you know, sometimes, if I feel like they go too hard with the older guy or with the girl or whatever, I will put them with one of the higher level guys or myself to kind of give them the hint. Look, if you go hard with them, then one of the higher guys is going to tune you up. So, but we have a bunch of, you know, great guys here and, and that's basically it.
0: Does shit ever like just escalate while it's training or do yes. people mostly giggle it off? no, <laughs> no. <laughs> You said that so blunt. No. Facts of the matter: yes, no. Well, you
1: gotta think guys have egos. One guy will think the other guy is doing something "quote unquote" dirty. So then the other guy does something dirty. Yeah, what's and it kinda dirty? Escalates
0: like like um, um, eye gouging.
1: or no, are there like, like putting certain you, putting your fist in their neck? Okay. Because it's not really a technique. It's just something that hurts. Gotcha. You know, and you're like, come on, man. I'm, this is not something that's gonna make me tap but it's kind of a dick move. There's no reason to do it. So guys do stuff like that. It's so funny that we have an older judo guy in here. And if you're rolling or whatever, and if you know anything about jujitsu, you're trying to pass their legs, their guard. If you grab somebody's jump, you say, Oh, my bad dude. And you let go. This older guy in here, he doesn't give a shit. If he grabs your junk, he's going to use your junk to pass your guard. And it's the funniest thing ever because you're like, you know, you're you're 60 years old, calm down. But, you know, it's just everyone's different, but every now and then you have dust-ups with guys, but for the most part, everybody just shakes it off and and lets it go. And I tell the guys the difference is if you have a dust-up, you have to let it go and the next time you came in the gym, Act like it never happened.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so do you wrestle off to get over it? Or are you just like, hey, man, go to a corner, breathe, and get a new training partner?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. So if it happens in here, I'm like, I might yell something to them and go over there. And then I just like, I'll usually call time on the whole class, and tell the whole class, hey, go get some water or something, and come back. And then I just keep them separated. There's some guys you don't pair up because, you know, they kind of have bad feelings to each other, but that's going to happen. And so you just do a good job of knowing who who to pair with who.
0: Okay. Oh, and that's, I see, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's a good point. I think of that when I do like even stations at a basic basketball, level. I'm like, who, who are the dumbasses that will distract each other and not put in the work? Let me separate them so that the other kids can get the valuable reps. I hadn't thought about like a jujitsu coach actually like trying to partner up or having like um, pre-arranged pairings for rolling.
1: Yeah, you have to do that because then you also have the, the – it's not always young guys, but for the most part, you'll have the young guy that he will go with a girl and if the girl gets the better of him, then all of a sudden his ego comes into play. Now he's got to whip the girl's ass uh, to show himself he's still a man. Gotcha. You know, and you got the 180-pound guy going with the 120-pound girl and now he's kind of being a bully or an ass to her yeah, yeah. and you got to put him in his place and say, Oh, hold on. That's How? not what you do with a young girl or the older, the 65 year old man.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, even I in the example too, like the weight class, dude, you got someone went by 60 pounds. I don't know if I'm like, actually, you know what? I I might've lied. Cause I go to middle school open gyms and I start feeling pretty good about my basketball skills beating up on 12 year olds. You know, I got right. I got him by you're about like, five inches. I'm
1: unbelievable.
0: <laughs> I'm crushing it. And then yeah. like then one of the like former players who's now in like tenth grade will come down and I'm just like, I got nothing, man. I can't yeah. even dribble. This is just pathetic, yeah. you know? It's funny how that you can and, get humbled like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: and, and it's the athletic ability that that <laughs> catches up to you because in your mind you're still athletic. Yeah. And your body's like to slow down, there, big guy. We're not as athletic.
0: No doubt. You don't need to jump for that rebound. If it gets to you, it gets to you. If not, <laughs> yeah. just just put your hands up to our block. Box top.
1: out. Box no out. Doubt.
0: How? What percent? Or like, how's the fight scene for the women down in the gym? Is it on the up and up and the coming? The best
1: fighter I ever had in this gym was a girl, and she was also a pilot,
0: oh.
1: and. So she had two fights. She won both of those. And she went and won Pan Am's at Blue Belt and Jiu Jitsu. But then she said she wanted to concentrate on, on flying. And now I think she flies for Delta. And she doesn't really train anymore. But, you know, women, there, there's a, a decent amount here. Uh, I try to tell people that women, a big thing for women is if you're mean, that puts you at a huge advantage. Hmm. because so many women are taught not to be mean or not to be physical when they're training right. or when they're growing up to whereas if you are mean and physical other people kind of lower their level of toughness because in their mind oh, she's mean
0: Hmm. that's yeah that's interesting i've heard that um my daughter i have an 11 year old and um into lacrosse. So I've seen it. Lacrosse. Are you familiar with girls lacrosse at all?
1: I mean, I I, I know every sport. I'm not right. saying I'm an expert, but I know, yes, I know what lacrosse
0: is. So I was shocked that like, there's all these different checking rules compared to boys. And I know they don't have helmets, they don't have gloves, they don't have pads, right? So they just have like eye guards, but you can't like check a certain way and people are entitled to their space, but then like the ball's on the ground. And when you see the girl that has zero concern for anything but the ball, she gets it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like because she, the others are, are intimidated.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it is, but that's something – exactly. And it's yep. something that you, we talk about, like you have to give girls permission um, to be selfish. You have to yep. tell girls it's okay that you don't make friends and that no one likes you if they're not on your team. Yep, like I agree, and I have two
1: daughters. I have two daughters, and I tell them that you know, it's it's not your responsibility to make everyone like you, especially in sports.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. Really, is an interesting dynamic for them to just go on that. Um, I don't know to to have that dog in them to go after it.
1: Yeah, and you like you said with lacrosse, it's not something that a lot of girls have, and when when the other girls see the girl that has it, they kind of get intimidated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What are y'all, What are your girls into?
1: Uh, being nerds. <laughs> I love it.
0: Um, so much better than sports.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, 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 I wish they would do jujitsu and things like that, but they're not into it. My six-year-old might be one day. She kind of just does. If her older sister doesn't like something, then she automatically doesn't like it yeah <laughs> uh so my oldest is gonna get back into tennis but she likes reading and things like that and being lazy and making sure that no one steals the couch by never moving
0: <laughs> that um that made me extremely jealous as well That sounds like a great life i <laughs> yeah. i did i struggle with that my daughter's really into reading like every car ride she grabs a book and she's reading yeah. it. and sometimes it's like hey man could we talk a little bit she's like uh eh really into this story.
1: That is my daughter to a T and I remember last summer I was like hey what do you want to do today and she's like oh I'm gonna look at some math and I'm like how are you my kid (laughs) like it's summer what are you doing but you know in the long run maybe it's something that will they'll pay off for them in the long run but you know you just try to make them have fun and realize hey you're a kid you can't worry about that all the time.
0: Yeah, I I've been really um trying to figure out that whole time balance because as she's getting older, at least down here or up here, um I'm so used to saying down here because I'm in southern Delaware and most people are northern. The blue hens. The blue hat. Hen-
1: there you go. How do you know that? Uh, a guy local here played football up for Delaware, and I mean I'm a sports junkie, so okay. if it comes to sports, I pretty much pay attention to it or at least know a little bit about. Delaware. And I think Joe Flacco went to Delaware when he left Michigan. Yep. So yeah, I'm just a sports junkie.
0: Okay. Yeah. We got, um, uh, one dude on the NBA, um, Dante DiVincenzo.
1: Yeah. He plays for the Bucks.
0: Yeah. So he, um, went to Villanova, but he, um, came out of a school in Delaware, which is yeah. kind of our claim to fame at the moment. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's interesting. It always, uh, cause we are definitely not known for like producing athletes like Maryland or the Baltimore area is, Yeah, you know, regionally.
1: Yeah, and that's nowhere near, like, the South, who, oh. you know, football and basketball in Georgia and Florida is yeah, crazy. Y'all
0: just eat, is it because y'all eat different down there, or everybody got a farm that just naturally has these genes? Why are I all think these it's actors? one of
1: those things that, it, it sounds silly, but people, they love sports so much down here, and places like Texas, that, you know, you go to Texas, and they'll have a high school football game with 12,000 people on a Friday night. And, you know, to other states, that's insane. Yeah. You know, but it's just people love sports. And, and I'm sure it has something to do with the weather, with where you can play sports down here year-round. Right. Whereas in Delaware, I assume in January and February, it's not much fun hanging out outside.
0: Oh, no, nah, man. That, that's the whole reason I coach basketball. Stay yeah. Active. I'm not trying to be out. I want climate control. <laughs> want yeah. Climate control. That I'm a little curious, actually, about your – when you said you played ball earlier, were you talking about baseball?
1: Yeah. Everybody in my family played baseball. A bunch of my cousins went higher level colleges and, and, but that that's about it. But it's one of those things that everybody down here just plays all sports growing up. And where I grew up, we would only see two or three cars a day go by our houses. So we would, you know, and, and you would have a ton of land. So we'd play baseball and football and wrestle and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people in my family hunt and do things like that, but that never interests me. Um, I'm too ADHD to go sit in the woods, That's, especially when it's cold.
0: Dude, the people who get yeah. up at like whatever, four in the morning to get yeah, out there and like, no, sun for the deer.
1: Yeah, I'm not interested in doing that at all. Sitting Plus, I kind of like animals, so I don't have a problem with people hunting, but I just I couldn't go out and do it. Yeah. But, you know, that more power to them. But I was just always into sports and fighting, and as a kid, I loved watching wrestling and things like that.
0: And what was the nine to five before you got into the,
1: uh, Uh, I worked for a print sales company (laughs) and, uh, I hated every minute of it. I hated my life. I told my mom, I was like, I cannot work nine to five. It's not something I can do. And I've always been the type that money doesn't do anything for me, meaning I don't need to make $5 million. Um, I never wanted to be one of those people that, Hated going to work on Mondays and hated, uh, you know, working and other than hanging out with my daughters or whatever, there's nothing I would rather do than being at the gym. Even some days when we're closed, you know, we're closed on a Sunday, I still come in on Sunday and I'll work out for a little while and just hang out as peaceful to me. Yeah. Um, it's well, just, you know, something that makes me happy.
0: It almost like if you compared it to like a stereotype, it almost be like the, one of the ultimate man caves. If you yeah, exactly. a gym, you know, I have, I have a computer keys. in here. I
1: have a TV in here. So, uh, you know, i watch jujitsu videos or a baseball game, you know, before you and I got on I was watching the Braves versus the Mets and, you know, just hanging out. It's, it's peaceful and quiet.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. Like I, when I work out, I, I do enjoy, um, Having sports and the background, like I, I, it, it's very relaxing. Like working out, I'm not like the intense, like like wanting metal in my ears and all that. Yeah, silliness. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I, I want to, I want to get a good lift in. I want to get some good work. Uh, you know, want to make sure my tricep pops at the beach as much as it can. But like, I enjoy doing that with basketball in the background. And it, like, I can't sit on the couch and just watch basketball. But if I'm working out, I can watch the whole game.
1: Oh, I agree, and uh, you know, not to get on a tangent here, but I used to watch NBA all the time until the last couple of years, and how far they've gone a certain way. But I still pay attention to it. And too many threes and,
0: for you? Just too many threes? Analytics? Uh,
1: yeah, we'll we'll leave it at too many threes. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> we'll leave it at too many threes. But uh, I still pay attention to what the honks are doing, and you know, I play a lot of fantasy sports, so I keep up with stats okay. and things like that. So, you know, that, and, but, you know, I used to watch NBA, I used to watch sports all the time, but like you said, now I just kind of have it on in the background sometimes.
0: Yeah. What, tell me about your baseball game and, um, like not going for, not to like put you down or anything, but. I've heard from different baseball players, they'll reach that limit of like, I can never figure out how to hit a curve, man. If someone had a good curve, I was fucked. Or uh,
1: That was one of them. But also, like I said, um, it was one of those things where I was talented as a younger kid. And then I had a couple of injuries. Well, then I wouldn't put in the work. So I had some cousins that were really good. They would go to the field and take 500, a thousand ground balls a day. And I would take 20. and then i
0: that adds up that that, adds up pretty quick
1: that's right and they would hit in the cage for an hour and i would hit for 20 minutes and so that catches up to you and you know it's one of those things i'd already started having elbow injuries i started having you know my shoulder bothering me so it's one of those things you get tired of hurting and
0: yeah what age are you talking about with these injuries coming at you
1: so i partially tore my right bicep my 10th grade year so i had to I had to miss some time there. Um, And I'd had some elbow injuries when I was a kid, um, being a cocky little shit. Um, Telling older guys, um, we had some family friends that played for the local high school, and I told them I could throw a fastball by them. And I was like 12, and they were like 18. So I tried to do it, and and when I did it, I hurt my arm. And I remember going inside telling my mom, Mom, something just happened. I hurt my arm. And from that day on, even though I could still throw – Um, I always had elbow injuries and things that would hurt. And it's funny. So when I started fighting, they came back and I started getting severe tendinitis in both elbows. I start I had to have something called a 10 X procedure on my left elbow. So it's just one of those things, you know, genetics where you have a bunch of injuries or, or things that just bother you. You know, you know, I was talking about my mom, my mom, she's torn both rotator cuffs uh, from playing ball. So, It's just injuries that that build up. Do
0: you think there could have been like a preventative measure? Like if you'd have stretched more, warmed up a little better, you think it, or is it inevitable? Just use that motion.
1: No, I agree with you on terms of, I think warming up. And a lot of guys, when they throw a baseball, they have the wrong motion. So one of the things I was doing when I hurt my arm, uh, I would not follow through when I would throw. So I, if I threw a baseball like off a of mound, I would try to stop my arm before it went past my hip, right? So when you follow through, huh. you're supposed to let your right arm go all the way through. Yeah. Huh. I would stop it in front of my leg. So when you do that, your bicep is putting, is putting all the tension on your bicep to stop your arm.
0: Why were and, you doing that? That seems so unnatural to me. I'm sitting <laughs> there trying to like so if So
1: I can see you right here. So if you threw a baseball, yeah. you follow through your hand should go all the way past your left leg. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So mine would stop like right in front of my left leg.
0: No. Yeah. But why? Why did you?
1: I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> it was just one of those things. And
0: <laughs> So you weren't doing it like intentionally or anything? Yeah. I
1: wasn't doing it intentionally. Not it's it just it one was of just, those things. It was and, just your motion. And okay. it's probably only six inches different. In terms of where I'm stopping, where they're stopping. Yeah, it. but
0: you're stopping all that torque, right? Yeah, like but the
1: torque, your bicep is trying to stop your arm and pull it yeah.
0: back. Yeah. Oh, dude, I I never even considered. Is that kind of common?
1: A lot of guys, even if you watch guys now, and they may not be that specific to to their pitching motion yeah. or whatever, but you'll see a lot of guys that short arm balls that pitch in the majors. Um, Alex Wood does it. Uh, Casey Mize does it. Those are a couple <laughs> guys. They short arm the ball. That's not what I was doing, but it's something that can potentially do damage to your elbow.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. How how um fast would you get up on the radar gun?
1: Oh, like mid to high 80s. Not not super crazy. Gotcha.
0: I I feel like mid to high 80s definitely gets you on a college roster.
1: Uh, but I played third base, so you know we had my high school team was pretty good up until my senior year. You know, all my cousins, like I said. I had a cousin that pitched in college and a couple others that played. Um, so, you know, but you got to think there's a million guys that do that. There's a million. I, it's like being a, a 6'2 shooting guard. Yeah, right. I mean, there's 8,000 of you in each state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you not, know, not so, in Delaware. 6'2", you're a center in Delaware, to be yeah, honest
1: Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, that's that's the funny thing because I'm 45, and you, like you said, I think you said you were about to turn 40. Yeah. When we were growing up, if there was a guy 6'4", 6'5", he was in the paint. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Now that's the funny. guy 6'4", 6'5", is bringing the ball up. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so that's the difference between these guys that are in the NBA and things like that is 6'4", 6'5", 30 years ago, they were teaching you how to post up. Now he's bringing the ball up. So
0: yeah, it's uh, a, it's different the way, um, even the size of the athlete and what they can do. So I, um, it, it, it's actually kind of cool. I first, my first year coaching eighth grade, um, at Beacon, which is, um, the school near the beach. So it's a coastal town. It's a little yuppie, right? A little upper class for, um, the tax base. I wound up having looking back now, five or six D college athletes. They're not, they all didn't go D1. College athletes on that team and three of four of them, four of them went D1 for baseball. One of them got drafted. I saw him the other day on place third, I believe shortstop or third base, Zach Geloff for University of Virginia. He got drafted after his freshman year. I guess you go back to college and then you can maybe you can continue to play or maybe like re-enter the draft towards your senior year. I think that's how it works.
1: Usually it's your sophomore year. Okay. So after your sophomore year, you can, I think, I'm not sure, gotcha. but I think it's after your sophomore year, you can enter the draft and then not go and come back.
0: I, but the thing I took away from that squad, which I kind of took for granted because I was so spoiled, it wasn't just their natural athleticism. It was their attention to detail and their focus and practice of how they just bought in, did the drills and did it to be great. And then you got other kids that are just pissing away six, one in seventh grade. And you're like, well, I, I don't get it, dude. How come you're not wanting to like pick up on how important a pivot foot is or where your hips should be or how to actually swing open or have an up and under and it, um, it was eye opening for me. And I wish, I guess most old, as you get older, you wish you knew what you knew now, right? I wish I knew then what I knew now. Yeah. But I feel like I almost wasted coaching like six, seven seasons worth of kids. Cause now I see where those eighth graders wound up getting to athletically and the professional opportunities that come along with it, the connections they have in life. Like, dude, that's, that can be generational changing.
1: Oh, I agree. And like we were talking about earlier, it's something that you have to want to do. And you know, some of these kids have the talent, but if you don't have the want and the desire to do it, it doesn't matter how talented you are.
0: Yeah, I, uh, was baseball your favorite sport?
1: Uh, I probably enjoyed basketball more, but like I said, how many six foot two shooting guards are there? You know, and I was, a, I was a decent, decent athlete that could jump, but I wasn't a great shooter, so you know, there's eight trillion of those walking around.
0: Shooting guards who um, can shoot.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I mean, how many of those guys are there? But I just, I, I like sports in general. I'm super competitive at everything. Um, so the, the, the partner here that teaches kickboxing, her name's Sonia Mitchell. Um, she's unbelievable at teaching class, and she and I are so competitive in things. You know, we we try to beat each other in things all the time, whether it's Scrabble or Wiffle Ball or whatever it is. You know, we sometimes we'll have like a little Wiffle Ball tournament at the gym, things like that, just super competitive, because I think that drives people to be better at anything if you try to be competitive. And I tell people, you know, the young kids or the, 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 you know, five, six, 10, 15-year-old kids that train here, life is competition. When you want the the high-level business job, you're competing against another guy. If you want to be an actor, you're competing against another guy. So you better learn to love the competition aspect of things or else you're going to get overlapped by the people that love it.
0: Yeah. Either learn to love competition or learn to be content. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're right. You're right. You know? And and that's with everything in life. You have to love to learn competition and not to go on enough, another tangent, but That's one reason I think these schools handle bullying wrong now, because they teach these young kids to go talk to an adult. And I explain here, at what point does that kid know they have to handle it themselves? They don't reach a magic age Mm. and think, man, I have to handle this. They start looking to someone else to solve their problems for them. Well, when they reach 13, they don't automatically say, well, now I have to handle it. Well, if for 12 years in a row, mom and dad handled it, they're going to look to mom and dad to
0: handle it again. That's interesting. Do you think that's not old man get off my grass stuff, but in that similar vein? And, and here, I guess here's what I mean. I, I ask that all fucking clunky like, but I, I've noticed as I get to speak to people that it seems passionate, competitive people have that concern for the youth and that everyone gets a trophy mentality. And is that part of what gets into you wanting to be a gym owner, like imparting the philosophy, not just the skills, but like that life philosophy on the youth?
1: I think it has had the opposite effect on bullying. And I think when when you go, for instance, if you tell your daughter, if I tell my daughter, go tell the teacher. Well, one thing that a bully is, a bully is confident, right? That's why they bully. (laughs) So when the teacher comes and says, you know, Pete, Pete, are you picking on Peyton? That's my daughter's name. (laughs) I'm going to say, no, ma'am, I don't know what she's talking about. She just made that up. Well, now I'm going to keep doing it, but now I'm going to be sneakier about it. Yeah. And the one thing about bullies, they're confident. So that teacher looks at me in my eye and I look her in her eye and I say, ma'am, I don't know what she's talking about. Well, now she believes me. Well, maybe Peyton read that wrong and Pete really wasn't doing it. Now I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to get sneakier and probably meaner.
0: Yeah. Right. Figure out how to manipulate.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, but if you tell Peyton, Peyton, the next time he does something, you punch him right in the face. Well, you know what? The bully doesn't actually want to fight. A bully doesn't want to fight. A bully just wants to be able to bully you and you to do what he wants or she wants. And, where I was going with this is if you get bullied as a child, when you get to be an adult and you get in the business environment, they're still bullies. Hmm. They're still bullies. So that's not something that's going away. There have been bullies throughout history. So you can be anti-bullying. And I agree. If my kids are picking on somebody and I see it, I'm going to handle it.
0: Yeah. That, that,
1: also, That's funny. <laughs> yeah, right? I it's want, the same
0: thing. Like, dude, we're going to teach you to be tough, but we're going to teach you to not be – a, like a jerk yes <laughs> like you don't yes. get to be an ass you yep, can be tough but if somebody
1: is doing something to you you don't take it yeah and you may get in trouble at school and I understand that but I'm gonna have your back a hundred percent because you have to learn to take up for yourself
0: now do you get into the role and I don't know how old you're if you want to share you can I know you had said your one daughter is six the the couch what? the couch crashing kid
1: Yes, she's nine. The one oh, okay. that just lays on the couch. The one that's six, uh, she may touch a couch for one second a day because she's a wild animal Got that you. is running everywhere and jumping and climbing. <laughs> that's. But the nine-year-old will just make sure the couch never gets stolen.
0: So my 11-year-old is um, basically a, a hybrid of those two. Like once, she, once her motor gets going, she gets going. And then when she's done, she's done. Um, yeah. But I, I think to myself, like I've role-played with her to like have these scenarios to like train her. And I've always wondered, am I just weird for doing that? And I'm curious about you. Like how much do you get into having daughters and trying to prepare them for like particular situations, scenarios like that?
1: The only thing I tell them is you do not take crap from anyone. You stand up for yourself. If someone is being mean to you or your friends, you stand up. And if you get in trouble, I will have your back. But when you start letting people pick on you, you start having self-doubt. You start questioning yourself. And you have to want someone that is positive, that they're confident, not cocky, but confident that they can handle themselves if they have to.
0: Oh, no, yeah. But what I'm I'm getting at is, like, do you get up and, like, Push their shoulder and be like, "How would you oh, respond? No, Come at no. me, kind of a I, thing."
1: I, here's the funny thing: is they hate jujitsu, and as soon as I get home, they're like, "Daddy, let's wrestle." <laughs> and I'm like, "Hold on a minute."
0: But yeah, so I, you I, don't like so that, but right there, like that doesn't you don't subliminally start like teaching them. And I know no jujitsu moves. How to whatever grab a quad or something, or like
1: <laughs> no, restrain like, someone I, in
0: an arm bar.
1: They know how to do a rear necked choke, things like that. Okay. They know. Basics like that, just because they do it on me. Gotcha. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, we go over a couple things here and there, but they have no interest in doing it other than to me. And gotcha. then it's just you know, let's play wrestle and then beat up daddy.
0: Yeah, there's some. I, it it is awesome to get beat up by your daughter. <laughs>
1: oh, I, I love it. I love it. it and they're mean, <laughs> right? They're Thank mean. You. I can I can handle a 250 pound man on me, and then all of a sudden my daughter jumps in a certain area. <laughs> And you're like, whoa, babe, you're, you're
0: killing me here. No doubt. Dude, my daughter caught me with a back. El- She's to the point now, like if I wake her up in the morning, she'll anticipate the tickle, even if it's not my intention. Yeah. And as soon as she hears a footstep, man, she like knows how to time it. Her back's to me. Her head's under the blanket. I get within like 12 inches. I got to be on alert for like a foot swinging to my groin or an yeah. elbow to my nose. And I'm like, girl, I'm just trying to say goodbye before I go to work. Like, yeah, what, I'm trying to kiss you, you
1: on the cheek. I didn't what, need the punch.
0: No doubt. What is this headbutt about? And it's, it's funny though, man. Cause then, you know, she giggles and like, it's, it's a weird, I, I wondered, is that almost like a natural dynamic or did I do something to like make her think I have to be rough with daddy all the time? Like, that's what I have to do with dad is be rough. Yeah, or is it, that just it, in them and they want It might be a natural
1: it. dynamic because that's the way my daughters are with me. They, <laughs> they are super rough. And after a while, you're like, all right, the soccer kick to the face, babe, you might want to calm down on. <laughs> you know, or the, the, the scratching. I'm like, oh, listen, geez. I'm tough. I don't care how tough I am. Scratching is a no-no.
0: No doubt. Stay away from my face with those nails. Yes. <laughs> that's
1: hilarious.
0: That's awesome. Oh, man. I'm – I am so, I'm so happy that I feel my daughter will be the one that will like have money because of the reading and I hope she'll feel bad. I hope I'll get to guilt her. Like when I'm 65, 70, I'll have some injury and I'll make up a story about, you know, it was when you were 11, it was a cold morning. You, you wound kicked up, me in my knee. And I flew into a wall and ever since then my back wasn't right. And uh, this is why I'm in the wheelchair. I need you to yeah. pay for that ramp for me. Help me out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I tell my daughters, uh, I mean, not that they listen now, but I tell my daughters, whatever you do in your life, I don't care. Make sure you're happy. Yeah. I don't care where you work. Don't care what you do. Don't care how much money you make. Make sure you are a happy person because so many people now, whether they're an attorney or a doctor or whatever, they're miserable. And people assume if I make this much money, I'll be happy. And I'm like, that's not true. You there have no. to do something you love. And, you know, that's why I do this, because this is, you know, other than hanging hang out with my daughters, I love teaching jujitsu. I love doing jujitsu. I like hanging out at the gym and talking sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, sometimes you're like, all right, I'm not in the mood to talk.
0: Oh, well, talk to me segue wise. Um, going from the print sales company to the gym. I'm curious what that was like for you. Not. Not yeah, fearful wise, so, but opening a business to me, that would be so much liability from my end where I'd be like, oh my God, dude, now it's now it's not a paycheck, right? Like I don't know if money's gonna come in every week. No, you you're right. Ex-
1: but the guy that helped me do it, he has a super successful business. So he is so smart when it comes to business. And I had other guys that uh, one of my students, Todd Gardner, helped. And like I said, Sonia Mitchell, they were unbelievable when the gym started. And sometimes I want to spend money on something I don't need to. And Sonia will be like, hey, don't be stupid. We don't need that. But always having, you know, my, my the guy that helped me in the background saying, do this, don't do that. You know, that has always helped. But I tell people, you know, now because I make a decent living doing it, and guys will be like, man, I wish I could, you know, make so much money teaching jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, yeah, but. When I was making a two hundred bucks a month, you you weren't wanting to do it then. When I was making three hundred bucks a month, you weren't wanting to do it then.
0: Is it that? And as specific as you can be, man, because I do get super interested in the entrepreneurial business aspect. Because I feel like there's this huge. I almost think of it as like the Sports Center generation, and I believe you're probably a part of it. You wake up in the morning before you go to school, you throw on Sports Center. And you're yep. just watching, you get home, you throw on, for me, it was like MTV or Sports Center, right? Yep. And that was just how we grew up. And then you played outside all the time pre internet and you did what you saw on Sports Center. So yeah, I feel there's I this wave of like sports people who now want to try to be sports business people. And I'm yeah, curious. When I about grew up, that. we
1: didn't have cable until I was like 20 years old. That's how far out in the country <laughs> I live. So we only had like six channels, but you got to think we always had the Atlanta Braves because of WTBS, the superstation. They also had the Hawks. So those were the sports I got. And then they had pro wrestling on Saturday nights. So that, that were, that were the sports that I watched And my, my whole family loved sports. So I'd watch sports from my grandfather. Um, you know, and then I'd go out and I'd act like I would help him in the garden, but I wouldn't, I would just stand there. But, you know, that's where my love of sports and he loved sports. So we would talk about it and we would talk about old-timey baseball. And, you know, I would just uh, sit and watch the Hawks and the Braves and the University of Georgia, things like that. Georgia Tech, always watching these sporting events. And, you know, as a kid, if your best friend's your grandfather and that's what he loves, then you automatically love it. Usually, yeah you know, and, and that was it. One of the things, uh, my mom was a super athlete and she likes sports still to this day. She watches sports and she'll even watch the UFC. Um, so I watch, you know, i watch sports with her and she'll call and we'll talk about the Braves or whatever it may be. So you're just in a family that everyone loves sports.
0: I'm pretty curious about the merging the business and the sports for you though. Like some of the challenges, some of the things you wish you would have known maybe a little earlier?
1: Um, I'll tell you one of the things is people will try to take advantage of you and they will tell you, if you let me train for free, I will do this. I will do that. Well, I've learned that if someone is really your friend, they want to pay you the full price because they want you to succeed. And, I will never go to a friend's business and try to ask for a discount. I want to pay them full price because I want them to be successful. And so when people come in the gym and they want deals or discounts, uh, or to train free because I'm your cousin, then you're like, all right, man, you're not helping me and you're really not being a friend. You're kind of taking advantage of me. Um, I don't think we charged people enough at the beginning. And then I had another friend of mine say, Pete, parents want to pay for things for their kids that they don't think other parents can pay for.
0: Oh, it's an ego thing. That's, they
1: want, they want to be able to say, Oh, little Timmy does this. And when the other parent says, really, how much is that? They want to be able to say, Oh, it's this amount. Wow! Because it's an ego thing for those parents. And he said, you'll notice the same thing. Not with all parents, of course, but no, that's I, why parents have big houses and big cars dude, and all it's that. It's an ego
0: a thing. A lot of people get fucking Mercedes when a Honda can drive just as well. I don't know. I've never driven a right. Mercedes, but I feel like, a, like I don't know if there's a difference, like Coca-Cola or the store brand, right? Like, yeah, is exactly. there really, really a difference? Or when you pour it in company, do you not want to be self-conscious about getting called out?
1: Yeah, it's an ego thing, and so yeah. you know we charge about the same as other gyms now. But it's little mistakes like that that you make in the beginning or, or for instance, advertising. We started with some newspapers and local magazines. Well, after a while, you realize the only people that read those things now are, are the elderly. And that's not your clientele. Right. So now you're just wasting money on being in the newspaper because, you know, let's be honest, you don't get and look at the newspaper anymore. You may, you know, scan the headlines on the Internet but you're not getting the newspaper delivered to your house. Yeah, And so little things like that you learn about business. You learn about, you know, where you're wasting money and things like that that you wish you would have known at the time.
0: What are some money wasters in a gym? Like I think of plastic cups pre-COVID or...
1: Buying, uh, buying rowing machines.
0: Huh
1: you would think people would come in and use rowing machines. Nobody uses a rowing machine. People <laughs> come in this gym to box, to kickbox, to learn jujitsu or NNA. You know, we have a full weight room with sore next weight equipment. Uh, that's what's in NFL and, and college football locker rooms. We have a treadmill, an elliptical, a couple rowing machines, and they rarely get used. Hmm. And, look, you know, you would think someone would use them, but they don't. And – Those are things, you know, you waste a couple thousand dollars on and they don't really get used.
0: And it's you're getting those kind of things because is that just like an industry standard or you feel that's a selling point for someone to buy a membership?
1: I think at the time I thought it was a selling point for someone to buy a membership. Look, we also have this.
0: Got you. Little perk.
1: But then after the fact, you look at it, you're like, well, the person just came in here and did jujitsu for an hour and a half. Do they really want to get on the rowing machine? Right. You know, do they really want to get on an elliptical? They just boxed and sparred or they did kickboxing. They want to get on the, the elliptical or the treadmill or whatever afterwards. No, Probably it sounds, not.
0: sounds like you'd want to put a sauna in instead. Let oh, it, let that shit out, you know? Yes,
1: I wish. That's man. All right.
0: That'll be you know, my, so that'll be my angel investment.
1: Just, <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are just things you waste money on and, for, for a long time, even though I have a TV in here and I can connect the computer to it, for a long time I had cable TV. And uh, my thought process is, ah, uh, the parents will sit in here while their kids are training and they can watch TV, but the parents don't. They want to sit out there and watch their kids. Yeah. You know? So it was a waste of money for, you know, however many years I was playing, paying for cable.
0: Yeah. You know, that's funny, man, because it's, um, it's the opposite of... You taking 20 ground balls, everyone else taking a thousand, like in a business, you start adding those little things up. It's almost like if you were subscribed to Hulu, Netflix, Disney plus discovery. And all of a sudden you're like, why am I paying $85 for cable plus $90 for streaming services? Yeah, like, exactly. What am, I, what am I doing on prime and iTunes and all this, it, it, it drains yeah, you. Yeah,
1: and it's I agree with you and just like you said though I don't know how much Netflix is cuz I don't have it but say it's 8 10 12 bucks whatever it is. But when you're spending 8 10 12 bucks on 10 different things, yeah. then you are spending 120 bucks a month. You know, and then you look at it and you're like, "Man, I'm spending over a 1000 bucks a year." whereas I don't need it.
0: Yeah. And that could be my salary.
1: Yep. <laughs> and you know it's crazy.
0: Um, And again, man, I don't mean to pry, but I think it's, I think it's super interesting insight because I really do feel there's a wave of people who want to be in the sports business. And I'm curious how long it took you to kind of pay, like pay yourself, give yourself a salary. Where were you? This gym
1: was different. And it's funny. We were just discussing this today. So within, I think it was a year we were in the black. And that is super rare, yeah, but it's because right? we ran this so lean that we weren't spending crazy money on silly stuff. Um, at, the, at the time, we only had mats. Uh, we had a boxing ring that we had a boxing coach having to have that ring. So we hired him and he brought his ring at the time. So we didn't spend money on that. Ooh. So we were running everything so lean that we weren't wasting money. And I think that's a, a mistake a lot of people make. Um, I think they make that with business in general. So this gym, like I said, it's been around 11, 12 years. I would like to open another one and possibly grow the gym. But then at the same time, the other one could cause this one to sink. Mm. And I think a lot of people try to grow really quick. And in the long run, it costs them that they're not you know content with having a successful gym They want four successful gyms, and it's not that easy.
0: Yeah. So, why do you want to expand? Are you just overfilled over there, or are you just a greedy capitalist? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You said I got got two daughters, man. College is coming up quick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not. It's like I said, I'm not a huge money guy. Yeah. It is a little bit of an ego thing, though, to see other gyms in the state of Georgia and they have two or three, four locations. And in your mind, you want to compete with those guys, whether it's jiu jitsu tournaments, MMA tournaments, or whatever. But also, you know of a local area that has a need for that type of gym because they don't have anything.
0: So that's what I was wondering. Because in Delaware, again, and I don't know what the size of your area is, but I believe Delaware, width wise, I can get across the state, I can get across my county in 45 minutes, and that's with traffic.
1: Yeah. So. The state of Georgia is the largest state east of the Mississippi, right? Yeah. So we're a lot bigger than people think. But uh, the city I, my gym is in is Peachtree City, Georgia. That's what the PTC stands for, Okay. PTC Combat Fitness. But this city is known because everyone drives golf carts everywhere.
0: Oh, so, so a little tighter then.
1: Yeah, so there's golf cart paths everywhere. Gotcha. So when you go to the grocery store, there's golf cart parking. <laughs> when you go to restaurants, there's golf cart parking. And so it's easy for everyone to get around, you know, it's 30 minutes South of the Atlanta airport. So a lot of pilots live here because it's easy to get to the airport. Okay. Um, you know, it's a, a higher class area. Um, so people around here have had disposable income. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm looking to, to maybe one day go a little bit further South because of expansion. People are starting to move a little bit further South, a little bit further South. And it's an up and coming area.
0: Okay. So would it, are you the kind of guy who likes to buy a building and then you own it? Or would you be looking to more like lease?
1: No, just rent and lease.
0: Gotcha. Just
1: rent and lease because it's much easier.
0: Because you just have less liability. It's just a steady pay and you get to deduct it anyway. Do you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's something that you don't have to worry about cutting the grass and you don't have to worry about if something happens to a part of the building outside.
0: Gotcha. 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 I've always wondered about that because um, I, I see it – again, I live in a resort area. We have little sections that are golf cart places but nothing that seems that large. Yeah. But I, like you see these businesses and it looks like, man, they put in 50, 100 grand in remodeling some like strip mall to make it look a certain way and you're like, how are you – why don't you just buy something and make it that way? But I didn't think of the continual, you know, like just something as simple as, Hey man, you got to pay for landscaping and that's another cost. It's bleeding you.
1: Yeah. That's another, you know, 500 bucks a month or whatever it may be. I I do the same thing though about, um, you know, you see, I don't, I don't know what city you live in, but in every little small town, you will see a downtown area that has like a quote unquote antique store downtown, (laughs) you know, or, or a, a boutique. Yeah. And you're like, how in the hell do they sell enough crap to pay (laughs) their rent and to make a living? Yeah. You know, you're like, how do they do that? Because you assume in any downtown area, the rent, you know, has to be a decent amount of money.
0: You would think a store rent is at least as much as it would be to rent, say, a bedroom somewhere. Right. Like if a bedroom, if if the square footage for that for me to live would be fifteen hundred a month. I would assume the rent would have to be minimum 1500 a month.
1: Yeah, you would think that. And yeah. how many little dresses, kids' dresses or no antique desks do you have to sell? Yeah. you know? To be able but to get the
0: food. That's somebody
1: must be doing it because they're everywhere.
0: Yeah. It's probably their grandparents. The building owner just gives it to their grandparents so that they can stay active.
1: Yeah, you're like, <laughs> have
0: at it. I want to know a little more about when you were starting. How, how long it took you to comfortable? I know you said you were in the black within a year, which is pretty insane. Um.
1: Oh, well, it was a long time before we were comfortable, but when we first started, we were only doing jiu-jitsu three or four days a week, I think. And within like two or three months, I was like, we need to do this every day. It has to be something offered every day. And then we started adding noon classes, and then we would add morning kickboxing, and evening kickboxing, and you know, evening boxing.
0: So, and are you doing that just on faith? Like you're, or like you have people coming up to you saying, Hey, why aren't you open 8am kickboxing so that I can come grab a class?
1: Uh, we always had morning kickboxing. Um, just because like I said, this community here is upper, upper level income wise. And so the, a lot of the wives and don't work. Gotcha. And so after they drop their kids off, They could come do kickboxing
0: get a nice little sweat in yeah
1: yeah. i'm sorry to cut
0: you off so one of the things that i i do i'm a teacher and i do parking lot duty and again it's a resort area so i get to see um the kids get dropped off in their cars and one of the most like one of the funny things more interesting it's not funny interesting thing is the parent dynamic of the parents who are stressed Gotta get to work. Gotta make a deadline. And It's like the biggest hassle of their day dealing with school traffic and dropping a kid off. Versus yeah. versus like we call them the yoga moms who are like, I, I I got I got spin class at nine, and they got their coffee. You know they're like rolled out their hair yeah, in no a bun, and they're just relaxed with the dog, loving life, smiling, yep. waving. Love you, sweetie. Um, yeah,
1: I take my daughters to school every day. My sister's a teacher. My mom's a retired teacher. Okay, so you know I'm, I'm used to. To being around schools and things like that. Yeah. But no, dude, that's funny. a real so, market. Yeah, my daughters don't start school till 8, but they have to be there at 7.20. They have to be first. Oh, really? So, yep, yeah, they have to be first. And so I had to get there at like 7.20 and drop them off first. They always want to be first.
0: <laughs> Why is that?
1: I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I think my youngest does it just because my oldest yeah. likes to do it. right? You know, but... I was like, man, when I was a kid, I didn't want to get there. If it started at eight, I want to be there at seven fifty nine.
0: No doubt, right? And then, um, yeah, exactly. A teacher could see me at eight. I don't know if I'm in my desk at eight.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. But you know, I I actually think that's a good thing. Um, oh, I yeah. used to read stories about athletes and the older guys that always wanted to be first, always wanted to be first, always wanted to be first because it was a a a thing to push them to be better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I it. It really is. Uh, it's something, and I think we've said it probably a couple of times about our daughters being readers, and me naturally, I, I really do. I'm like, come on, can we go out there and throw a lacrosse ball, or l- let me teach you about what it- she's into field hockey a little bit, or you know, let's go like for a jog together, or even take the dog. And she's like, I just want to read. And now I'm really getting to the point where I'm like, she cares about things. She's conscientious. She meets deadlines, and she's she's very well read. Like she has a lot of world experiences because she reads so many different books. I'm like, that's probably better for her than getting the thousand ground balls, you know, cause she's yeah, getting a thousand words.
1: No, I agree with you. And I have discussions about this with other parents in this gym about how so many parents push their kids to do what they want to do. Yes. Yeah. Right. Instead of, you know, letting the kid do what makes them happy. You know, you have parents pushing their son to play baseball or basketball or football or whatever it is. Instead of saying, "You know what? Do what makes you happy," and as long as you're a nice, sweet person, that's all that matters. I'm kind
0: of curious too, and I, it's funny. I was when you were thinking about pushing their kids to do stuff. How big is the reputation as far as a component, or it matters in business? Do people just see the word jujitsu and they're like, "Oh, cool." I have a boy. He has energy. He needs to get tougher. She needs to get tougher. Put him into jujitsu ju- or does like the name brand matter? Cause it's like that a stylistic a huge, thing. No,
1: I listen. I have discussions with other jujitsu coaches and other guys that um, are, are some guys that have gyms. It means nothing to people that don't know anything about jujitsu. So for instance, The guy guy I got my black belt in jujitsu from was probably the number one guy in the world from about 97 to 2001, 2002. His name is Herberto Travin, right? And I say, if someone comes in this gym off the street and they train with me, they are going to think I'm the best guy in the world. They aren't going to know me from Travin. Mm -hmm. It's not basketball. If you see two schools and one says... Joe Smith, not the former Maryland player, but regular Joe Smith. <laughs> yeah. Or Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. You're going to go to Michael Jordan. Yeah. But when it comes to jiu-jitsu, 99.9% of people, they don't know uh, Marcus Boucher-Almeida, the current world champion, or Pete Snyder.
0: You, that's they a, don't know who's who. That's a great point. And I had not – Thought of it that way so I actually um had just spoken to Evan who's a MMA fighter in Philly um he's also the GM of Red Robin which is hilarious like, <laughs> but he's getting back into it I think he's in his um mid- early 30s he um wound up MMA fighting without jiu-jitsu training he got into jiu-jitsu earned his black belt and now wants to apply those techniques to MMA fighting because he was like I was just a pissed off angry guy who would fucking fight anybody so I was a promoter's yeah. dream. Um, but he was telling me about that lineage because I'm like, dude, so what do you have to do? Break like three boards in like 10 seconds to be a black belt uh, or something stupid. And I, not stupid, but I'm like something like arbitrary like that. Like what's the skill? He was like, nah, man, it's when you're the person above you, the lineage is what matters because it's their reputation. They're like signing off on you that they endorse. Yeah. Skill you're not gonna level. Embarrass them. Yes. Right. So you think about that and you're like, whoa, that is huge. Now I've spoken to NBA trained people, guys who train NBA players. And it's like, if I can get one NBA dude to say they got a contract because I put them through drills, I'm gold. For the rest of my life, I can train anybody because now I can be an NBA trainer. I don't think that translates like you're saying to MMA trainers. That's, that's a really, that's a really solid analogy because dude, that sucks for y'all. (laughs) <laughs> that's terrible that you have that kind of skill and backing, but you don't get like the recognition for it. Well,
1: you know, uh, a funny thing is, so for, for the longest time, there were, there were no other legit gyms near me. Um, there there was a couple of gyms that the guy taught jujitsu and he has a black belt and I'll just leave it at that. But yeah. <laughs> then another gym opened And I had a couple members go over there because their kids' friends train there. Oh yeah. Well, the guy is not legit at all. So he has done other martial arts and he says he can teach jujitsu to these people. Well, you never see any credentials. You never see him do anything. You never see him compete. You've never seen him compete. Mm. So, Sometimes you want to call that person out, but then again, you're like, "Man, that makes me look bad." Yeah,
0: now you're being petty, right? Or now you now look you're like being you're petty, petty,
1: but then again, you can say, "Well, he's basically robbing these people of money because he's telling them he's legit in something that he's not legit in."
0: So how did how would an ignorant person like myself, if I if I'm if I'm Googling jujitsu, yeah, and, and I'm going to the closest studio, the closest gym because I just don't want to go the extra 10 minutes so I can go home and eat dinner earlier. How? Yeah. Do, what do I go into a, a place and look for where I can feel confident that I'm getting some quality jujitsu jitsu instruction?
1: Number one, like you mentioned earlier, is lineage, right? Okay. So you see who gave them their black belt and then Google that person. See how legit they were because, like you said, it's their reputation. So, for instance, if you Google travin and see – he won the Abu Dhabi, which is the number one jiu-jitsu grappling tournament in the world at the Absolute Division, meaning everybody in the world, he was the number one guy in the world. So you know he's legit. (laughs) So if I trained under that guy for 15 years, you would like to think he would not give his, give a black belt to someone that he doesn't think knows what they're doing.
0: And do you like, so And again, this is just, I'm so ignorant of it. Do you like have a, picture of him do you have a certificate like how how do people market themselves without being like cobra kai
1: yeah over the top
0: endorsement do you know what i'm saying like trying to be humble but still brag
1: (laughs) when i have uh when i got my black belt he gave me a certificate his signature is on it like a watermark is on it okay um but i have pictures of you know i trained for with him for 15 years so you can go back and see me from being a white belt you know on his Facebook or my Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be to being a purple belt, to being a brown belt, to being a black belt, you know, you can see all these pictures. And I tell this to people, um, it's, it's a little bit off topic, but it it has a little bit to do with this. (laughs) Somebody comes into my gym and they tell me they have fault. And I say, if you tell me this, you realize I'm going to Google it. And when I Google it and I see nothing on you, I'm going to say you're a liar.
0: What do you Why? mean when they say they have fault? What because
1: is- guys love coming into gyms and telling you what a badass they are. Oh. And I have had guys come in here and say, I won Golden Gloves in New York. Oh, okay. And you're like, you, you realize I can Google every Golden Gloves winner in New York. And then when you get in this ring and you look like you have three left feet, why would you do that? Why? And I tell guys, if you ever go to another gym, I don't care how good you are. Tell them you're just there to have fun. Why? If you go into one of these gyms, if you went into, say, Henzo Gracie's in New York or Otos uh, in California, and you act as though you're a badass, they're going to whoop your ass for you to show you that you're not. <laughs> you know? Got Got you. So when you go in these gyms, say, hey, guys, I train at so-and-so. I'm here to train, have fun, and see what I can learn. And But you would be surprised how many times guys come in here and they will tell you, you know, how, how, how big of a badass they are. You know, I had the FedEx driver come in here a couple months ago, and he was like, hey, what do you what do you do here? And I said, hey, we, you know, we do jiu-jitsu. We teach guys, you know, mixed martial arts how to fight. And he said, oh, I know how to fight. And I said, no, you don't. He said, like, what do you mean? And I was like, man, if you told me you know how to deliver a package, I would agree with you. I
0: was are like, dude, I've seen you. You can't hold three packages. You yes. start sweating. If that- you tell
1: me you can deliver a package, I'll be like, you know what? You're right. But you yeah. randomly think you can fight? And it's just like, but guys do that. And, yeah. you know, guys will come in here and say, oh, I've wrestled. And I'll be like, all right, how long have you wrestled? Well, I wrestled a year in high school. <laughs> no, you're not a wrestler. You know? You're you're not a wrestler, it's like you know. Twenty
0: five practices.
1: Yeah, you had. You're, you're not Freshman a wrestler.
0: Freshman weighing ninety pounds.
1: Yeah, but you know that's that's the way guys are.
0: That's interesting, man. That's funny. the FedEx guy. Hey, man, I'm a fighter. No, you're not.
1: Yeah, they just people just assume they can fight. He's like,
0: dude, I use my quads all day. What are you talking <laughs> about? Yeah, Do you see you the way I legs? squat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if I'm if a parent is much like me and I'm looking to get my child some quality quality jujitsu, I want to Google who that black belt came from because that lineage is super important. That endorsement is super important.
1: Yes, that lineage and that endorsement is super, super important. But also you can look to see uh because ninety five percent of black belts, they will have competed at some point. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna win huge tournaments or win any tournaments, but if they've never competed or anything and you can find no information on them, you know, for instance, the, the new guy that opened the gym near us, you can find no information on his jiu jitsu. Hmm. It says he is a jiu jitsu black belt under this guy, but then you can find no other information on him. Right? Would it, would Zero. It
0: be, would it be common to get a black belt without? going to competitions or even winning competitions?
1: Uh, Some guys can, yes, because everyone doesn't compete for it. Like some of the best guys I know are guys that they have competed, but they don't necessarily compete well. You know, it'd be like the guy, you know, when when you're running full court five-on-five practice – He's unbelievable. And then when the game starts, you're like, man, what happened? He just disappears. He's in his
0: head or something like that. He's worried about the stand. Yeah, but
1: so there's guys like that in jiu-jitsu. They're unbelievable in the gym. And then when it comes time to show it in front of people, they can't do it. But that doesn't mean he's not unbelievable. And I also say this to people. Just because you're an unbelievable competitor doesn't mean you're a great coach.
0: Yeah, right. Well, so that's something interesting. You had um, said uh – Yeah, I would call it interesting because I love teachers. The fact that you have two teachers in your life, I would think helps you just from the perspective of breaking down, patience, understanding, thinking of lesson plans or whatever, the instruction. Because it seems from what I have seen people talk about, not experienced, that there's so much little detail into jujitsu where if you had someone who was good but couldn't teach it, you're kind of fucked, man.
1: No, I agree with you, and um, I, actually, I don't think I'm unbelievable at showing those little details, but I also think sometimes that hurts people, because I think when a beginner comes in, if you try to show too many details, they uh, miss the bigger picture.
0: That's a good point.
1: You're right. I can show two or three details, and they will remember that, but if I show them 10 details...
0: Then they can't apply anything.
1: They can't apply anything.
0: God, gotcha. You know, and, and that so that's sense. the way huh. I
1: look at it, but... You know, going back to the coaches and stuff, people like Ted Williams. um, I assume you know who Ted Williams is.
0: The guy whose head is frozen in all the Simpson episodes?
1: Yes. (laughs) The the greatest hitter that's ever lived, right? (laughs) Or or Jordan, or Bird, or somebody like that. A lot of times they can't coach because they can't understand why you don't see what they see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, They don't understand why
1: you can't do what they could do. You know, Bird's like, hey, why didn't you see this
0: guy over in the corner? He was open. Well, so in fairness to Larry Bird. um, Oh, he was a great coach. He he was a great coach. Now, Jordan as a GM was terrible for the Wizards. Magic Johnson was horrible basketball-wise. Yeah. You look at all who the good coaches are, like Eric Spolstra, Brad Stevens. They were players who had to think and manipulate the game with more so their mind than their athleticism, so now they yeah, can kind of translate Bird did. that exactly. Yeah,
1: and that's what Bird did. You yeah. know, they weren't super athletic or whatever. And you see all these guys. I think Clyde Drexler coached the Rockets, you know, for a little while, God, and did he really? was terrible. That, I and, missed that. But they, yeah, these guys are. You know what? He coached the University of Houston.
0: That's okay. who
1: Drexler coached, but they were so athletic, and it came so easy to them. Yeah. yeah. They can't understand why it doesn't come easy to the other guy.
0: Right. Yeah, man, that's that's interesting. That's a really good point about getting lost in the weeds, because sometimes you just need kids or people to do man one or two things. I I don't want you going out there thinking of 10 or 12 things. And now I'm thinking of myself as a parent. And like you, one thing I hate and again, middle school basketball coach. I'm not saying I, I know a ton about coaching, but one thing I do value with teaching is reps. And if I'm talking or working more than the kids that I'm around, to me, that's a bad day. That's a bad lesson. That's a bad session. Like I want to talk. I want to give a point of emphasis. Boom, go do it. I want to give feedback. I want to make it immediate and I want to give you practice to then immediately apply it to get better.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And for middle school basketball, for instance, say you're showing a pick and roll, right? Show a pick and roll. And then let them do it.
0: Yeah, you can't talk to them for 10 minutes and then have them do it two, three times.
1: They lose interest.
0: Yeah, and would that be common in jujitsu? Like, people get lost in the weeds of just showing off moves that the kids are sitting there and they start, like, picking dirt out of their toes?
1: Uh, For kids, yes. Kids will lose interest. (laughs) The thing, the problem you find with adults is adults will go to YouTube and they will see some crazy move Um. That somebody does, and then they come to class and they want to do it. And hmm. you're like, hold on a minute. You are right now working on addition, and you want to skip all this and get to trig. Yeah. That's not how it works, right? I can't do the fancy stuff if I don't know the basics. Right. And when it comes to jujitsu or MMA and all that, whenever you see guys win, it's guys, they win with basics. They don't hmm. win with the cool-looking flying triangles, flying on bars. You'll see it every now and then at lower levels. But you don't see that at the high level.
0: Yeah. Do do you ever get any slack, or is it common for people to feel like they're being held back if they're trying to progress through their belts?
1: Uh, you, you know, every now and then, but it's not something I've ever seen. I tell people this when it comes to belt promotion. I would rather wait a little longer to promote you so that when you – if you compete at that level, you can hang with those guys instead of giving you a belt early. And now for six months to a year, you're getting your ass whooped because you really weren't ready.
0: Can can someone like me understand belt promotion, like the difference between two colors? Like is there a rubric somewhere or is it really just that feel – Of someone who's gone through and knows the skill level by actually competing.
1: Yeah. So different coaches promote different ways. You will see some gyms do a belt promotion test, which I think is a load of horseshit. (laughs) And here's why it's a load of horseshit. If I said in two weeks, I'm going to give you a blue belt test and I need you to know these six things. Uh... You could go home right now and learn those six things. That doesn't mean you could do those six things to a guy who is resisting. Gotcha. But you could do those six things. I promote this way. I watch you roll. I see if you know what you're doing. And even if it may not work on the guy you're working with, say a white belt is rolling with a purple belt, and he's doing the right thing, but it's not working, right? Well, you're at least doing the right thing. The other guy just, he's been doing it longer. He's better. He's more athletic. But you're doing the right thing. So there's different ways to promote, you know, because you can't hold everyone to the same standard. The kid that wants to be a world champion, I have to expect more out of him. The 60-year-old man that's a retired school teacher that's doing it for fun, I can't expect the same out of him. But I can expect him to know the fundamentals. I can expect him to know the technique. But I can't expect him to be able to do the technique on a guy 25.
0: So if you're looking at two dudes rolling around, you can be like – you're like seeing moves. Oh, man, he just tried a blank. with, And then in your head, do you think, oh, appropriate counter would be blank? So if white belt responded with an appropriate counter, you're kind of taking note of that and being like, wow, great skill.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it, like when you've done jiu-jitsu for 15, 16, 17 years or whatever, or if you've at least done it seven or eight – when you watch guys roll, you can see, man, this guy's hand shouldn't be right there. This guy, gotcha. he should have his right underhook. He shouldn't let the other guy have the underhook. Things like that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it's amazing, man, because it, it's funny how similar sports are, but how different, how ignorant you are. Like, so for basketball, man, you, like, your, your pivot's all fucked up. Step with your left, follow through with your right, or uh, it, even um just high grabbing stuff at a high poster like why would you take a jump shot on a on the line kind of a thing or you how come you're not helping in a gap on defense or why didn't you box out like so many different little intricacies in basketball and i feel like i kind of know some basics of them you start talking to a guy like you who knows jujitsu, and i don't even know i guess aside from arm bar or rear naked choke but like i couldn't identify it i'd like does that mean it's like a piggyback ride and like, okay, rear naked choke, there it is. And it it's funny how similar you can notice them if you are experienced with it, but how different the jargon, like, just separates you, man. It really humbles you. It makes you feel – like, it makes me feel stupid talking to someone like you who has those details.
1: Well, it's kind of like I, I'm not a huge fan of going to watch the UFC in a bar or things like that. I bet it just with,
0: pisses you off, God. Well, All because you hear somebody say – yeah.
1: Why doesn't he just do this? And you're like, do you not think the son of a bitch knows that? <laughs> but the other guy's not going to let him just do that. You know, trust me. The guy knows what he needs to do. Doing it's a different story. You know? Well, hey, Jordan's guard you. You need to post up and you yeah. need to turn into the pivot and no shoot a jump hook. How, how come Okay, he just, well, knowing it and doing it against Jordan are two different things.
0: No doubt. Why doesn't he just cross them over, man? It, yeah. yeah. No doubt.
1: You know, Jordan's 6 6'6". Six. You're 6'8". Six, Why aren't you posting him
0: up? Uh, that, that actually is something. You had said it earlier about the strategy. I think when we were talking about um, video and posting. So posting videos of you training would that give someone an advantage. I'm kind of curious in your experience, how much when you get into a fight do you stick with a strategy? Because I know basketball-wise, we'll be like, hey, man, we can press. We can press. Fourth quarter, they'll be tired. We're going to go with our depth. But I, I don't know like how in my head it doesn't make sense to go into a fight being like, all right, man, I'm just going to wait for that right hand to drop. When the right hand drops, I'm going to sneak in here and put him in this, and then he'll tap.
1: Well, it's 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 still the same thing. A game plan, for instance, I'm not sure if you watched this, but a few months ago, Dustin Poirier fought Conor McGregor, right? Well, Conor McGregor's left-handed. So Dustin Poirier started throwing a ton of calf kicks to McGregor's lead leg. Okay. Well, McGregor didn't check him. At the end of the first round, McGregor was done. Why? His lead leg was so beat up, he could barely walk. So, what's going to happen? They're going to fight again. And now McGregor is going to plan for that lead leg kick. And so, now what's Poirier going to plan? What's Poirier's plan of attack? You know, so it's also a mental thing there. But a lot of times... Game plans go out
0: the window when you get punched. See, that's why I'm, uh, dude. I, that in my head, I'm like, all right, man. I'm focused. I'm thinking. Oh, oh, waiting on, waiting on his shoulder. Wait, waiting on his head to, and a boom. Yeah,
1: you and get hit, and then comes, it's like, fuck it,
0: man. We're scrapping.
1: Yeah, if it never comes, you know, if, if you're looking for a certain thing and it never comes, what do you do?
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. No, I, I I guess like is it more common that the game plan doesn't come and you just have to rely more on like the muscle memory and the repetition?
1: I'm willing to bet, you know, 80% of the time you're just having to go on muscle memory and going with the flow of the fight because the other guy's not going to fight the exact same every time one fight, he might be pushing forward the whole fight. And for whatever reason, he might not be pushing forward the next fight. So it's kind of hard to, to to follow your game plan when he's not doing what you thought he was going to do. Gotcha. You know, if if, if I'm practicing uh, – if I'm practicing to play Detroit when, you know, if you went in the paint, they were hammering you or whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're not doing it. Then I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on here? And everything I practice, they're not doing. You know, or if it's yeah. somebody – you know, if a team, Loyola Marymount, I don't know if you remember when they used to run and gun oh, and yeah. they would score 140, 150 points a game.
0: Great 30 for um, 30. Bo Kimball, right? Was yeah, the right. One that Hank shot the, yeah, Hank he Gathers. Yeah, he shot the left-handed yeah. free throws for Hank when yeah. he passed away. So those
1: guys were running and gunning with a guy named Paul Westhead was their coach, you know. But so what if all of a sudden they start playing half-court basketball? How are you going to react to that? Yeah. and do, So it's the same in fights. Gotcha.
0: Is that common that people will try to change up their style? So like basketball-wise, you'd basically spend the whole season being like, hey, man, we're we're a full-court press trapping team, so we're just going to trap the hell out of you. It's pretty rare in basketball game-to-game to change game plans. Like Bill Belichick gets all sorts of praise for every week he changes his game. He doesn't do something. He basically sees what you do and screws with what you do.
1: Yeah, Belichick, you know, they may win one weekend and they may have run the ball 35 times. And the next weekend, throw the ball 35 times.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. But
1: can you, yeah, I'm not sure you can do that in the NBA, you know, I mean.
0: I'm curious about fighting, though. Like, is that uh, kind of a common strategy where you want to switch it up very often? I
1: think you switch it up if you get beat. So, like, okay. like I was saying with Poirier and McGregor, McGregor had beaten Poirier their first fight. Well, obviously, Poya had to do something different Got because it. his game plan in the first fight didn't work. So guys switch it up and say, well, you know, I need to start doing more of this. Or a lot of times they switch it up with guys that are high-level wrestlers. High-level wrestlers have a tendency to fall in love with, I'm going to show you, oh, I'm just a good a stand-up guy, right? Uh-huh. Well, then they fight, and all of a sudden, man, I lost that fight because I didn't stick to what I know. You know, I've been wrestling since I was four years old, I've got to go back to what I do best and that's being a wrestler.
0: That's it. Why do you think that happens? Where is it? Just comes back to that ego. ego? You keep your ego. I knew it.
1: (laughs) It comes back to ego and I, you, you don't understand it. It's like, and I tell the guys here that fight, you know, I had one of my students fought a couple weeks ago and he was like, "Uh, I want to knock this guy out. And I was like, why don't you just worry about winning, (laughs) win the fight and move on to the next fight. You know, win the fight. You don't have to prove. If you win the fight, you proved what you wanted to prove. If you go in there and you try to knock the guy out and you get knocked out, what did you prove? You proved you're not smart.
0: (laughs) When was the last time you had your ego checked, besides your daughters doing it on the daily?
1: (laughs) Uh, I I still roll with guys all the time. So I go roll with a friend of mine, Jeff Boutreau who is unbelievable. He has his own gym in Atlanta. So I go roll with him. He's a high-level guy. But he hands he me an ass-whooping every now and then. And you're like, yeah, this sucks. But it's so weird. I tell people this. If I roll with a normal guy, an average black belt, I'm better than the average black belt. If I go with a world-class black belt, they will make me look like I don't know anything. It, it's just the different levels. It's like I tell people. Yeah, I tell you, it, the NBA is a great example of this. Um, I used to go play basketball in my early 20s at a place called Run and Shoot in Atlanta. And it was some guys that had bought uh, an old Kroger and turned it into like 12 basketball courts. Okay. So I would go there and play basketball, and there would be unbelievable guys there, right? And then you would have guys come in like Drew Barry. I don't know if you know who that is. Played at Georgia Tech. His yeah. dad, Rick Barry, played in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. All right, Drew Barry would come in there, and there was no one in the gym that could stop him. If he wanted to get in the hole, he'd get in the hole. If he wanted to hit a jumper, he was going to hit a jumper. And this same guy played in the NBA for about 10 games and couldn't get on the court. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the different levels. Drew Barry played at Georgia Tech, ACC, unbelievable. Right, I yeah. think he was an all ACC team guy. Comes into a gym where there's pretty good guys and he's unbelievable but can't make the NBA. You know, it's like the 12th guy on the bench in the NBA. Anywhere else in the world the guy is unbelievable yeah. but can't get off the bench.
0: Are, do, so you had to be a dunker. You dunk. When, when how early were what was your first Oh, dunk? I couldn't
1: I couldn't dunk till I was like 11th, 12th grade. But do you know what shrink shoes are?
0: oh dude the thing yeah they had like the four inch soles on them
1: so when i was like 14 my mom bought me those things and i worked out and worked out and worked out and worked out until i could dunk but it would give you the worst shin splints you have ever seen that's
0: what i've heard so yeah i've heard like people swear by them from back in the day but apparently they're like physically horrible for you
1: i had the worst shin splints ever (laughs) and it's a funny thing like For my 40th birthday, I told somebody I wanted to dunk a basketball on my 40th birthday. And I couldn't dunk a basketball, but I could dunk a volleyball. Okay. And so I dunked a volleyball on my 40th birthday. And if you ask me to touch the rim right now, I would say I probably can't touch the net. So (laughs) in the last five years, that's how far downhill I've gone.
0: Just because you haven't been jumping, training that way? or It's
1: just I've had a couple back injuries lately. Gotcha. And now when you jump, you know, your back takes all the brunt when you come down. Yeah. And, you know, last year I, I played basketball a couple times and I felt good. But then I had to get back to training and stuff, so I, I didn't. But, yeah, it's one of those things. You know this. If you're not playing basketball all the time, you don't have legs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, even if you jog, um, you it, it it's just yes, different, different. Yeah, the the sprinting, the stopping, the the sudden bursts of explosion. It's like your heart rate elevates to 180 beats per minute, and then you gotta shoot that bitch down to like 40 when you're yeah. resting on a side out in order to get ready to put it back up. And then you gotta hit parts where you're at like 120 beats per minute. You know, at a yeah, steady it's, it's cardio. Yeah, it's different cardio.
1: And, and it's kind of the same with jiu and stuff because I'll have guys come in here that do CrossFit or run marathons. And it's a different thing. One is because you get such an adrenaline flow from it because you've never done it and you feel like you have to use all your strength.
0: Shoot your wad early, you, man. You yeah, dump it. you
1: shoot your wad early and then all of a sudden you're just exhausted.
0: Yeah, that... um, Yeah, <laughs> that, I, I could... I can see that again, the ego check in. What do you, what do you have like mantras or how do you try to humble yourself being pretty successful individual?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I get uh, people, people, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. People ca- say I'm cocky, right? Okay. But I say this. You have to have some level of cockiness and confidence in your ability to do jiu-jitsu or MMA or whatever to be successful.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You don't have to go over the top, but you have to be confident. Bird, you know, if you, I like watching stuff about shit talkers in the NBA.
0: Love it. And they're like, Bird
1: was the worst. Right? Well, it's also part of the game. Part of the game is I'm gonna see if I can get you off your game by shit talking you.
0: Did you hear who Kevin Garnett said was one of the best shit talkers of all time?
1: I've watched this all the time, but who did he say?
0: He said Tim Duncan.
1: Oh, and, I did say that because and, he said he was so he was so bad at shit talking, like he would just say stuff like, oh, nice try.
0: Yeah, dude, he was like, he was like uh, uh, yeah. almost, buddy, next time. And he would yeah. like pat him and it was like this polite phrases that there was like zero passion behind. And yeah. it fucked him. And it would piss you off even more. Yeah, yeah. You'd be done because it was just like, at a boy. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get the next one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did see that. It was the same <laughs> one I think he talked about when they played the Bulls and shit talked Jordan. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dude, that I didn't see the Jordan part,
1: but I yeah, thought that was that one up. He talks about uh, he was like, I was a rookie, and we were back in Chicago. J.R. Ryder was the shooting guard on the T-Wolves. And uh, <laughs> both of them are telling the story. So J.R. Ryder is like, we come up after a timeout. He's like, it's about to start the fourth. And he said, we're up, you know, whatever it is, 18 points. And he's like, at the time, I have like 26, and Jordan has like 12.
0: And uh, Garnett yes. comes up, and
1: he's like, you keep busting his ass, Jr. You keep busting. <laughs> and he's like, Jr. says. I look at him, and I'm like. Man, he's right here. Shut up!
0: <laughs> I remember you know, that He's now. like
1: Jordan's eyes just get huge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that, so you're kind of like that. You're a little bit of a shit talker, and people take that as cocky, huh? I, I,
1: it's part of the fun, though. It is, you know? right? It's part of the fun.
0: It so is. It's you know, like so
1: basketball. Part of the part of the fun. We had a guy come in here one day, and he we played basketball, and he's like. He told Sonya, you know, Pete talked more shit than any human you have ever seen. Right? Well, you got to think, being down here, I the, I'm the only white guy worth a shit on the court. <laughs> Still you know? at 45? I I'm saying no when I was coming up.
0: Gotcha. I was like, man, you know? good and for so, you.
1: You know, part of the game is talking shit. You know, if you're talking shit to me, I'm going to talk it back to you. If not, I look weak. Right. You know, if you start talking and I shut up immediately, I look weak. Yeah. Like you know, look- and so I have to come back at you. Same thing. You know, even though Duncan didn't come back at KG the way KG was talking, he came back at it. Oh, he did. You know, <laughs> yes. and and that's part of it. It's part of the, you know, going back, I'm, I'm going to stand up my, for myself. And it doesn't mean you have to be rude or vulgar or, you know, insult someone. It doesn't, you don't have to do that.
0: Yeah. It's a weird, it's like art and porn, right? What was the, um, the, the Supreme court was like, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. And there's a difference. Like, I feel like you get a vibe when you're out there with people, even could be a complete stranger and you just talk shit the right way and you get accepted. And then there's the respect afterwards. Like, yeah, he, that was kind of funny. He was kind of real about that.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, it, and it's it, just, it's just good. It's fun and it's shit talk and after the fact, you know, I have a a lower level guy here, blue belt, but he shit talks the whole time and it's funny. Like he knows he's getting his ass whooped, but he's not going to stop talking shit.
0: Irrational confidence guy. But it's it's almost like putting in a bet though, right? Like it puts skin in the game because if you're talking shit, you're, you're, you're not manifesting your future, but you're staking a claim. That you could get called out on, and then all of a sudden, it's like, "How are you gonna respond, man? Are you gonna come back harder? Are you are gonna go for it, or are you gonna shut up and be a little bitch?" <laughs> exactly,
1: and, <laughs> and that's the thing. If and, you shut up, you're being a little bitch.
0: Yeah, and it really does like it's it is a lot like betting money on something because it just makes you invested.
1: Yeah, and you know, in my last, uh, I competed like last February or whatever, and the guy spun for a knee bar. Well, when he did, I kind of shook my head like, no, like <laughs> it's not going to work. And so, you know, people are like, oh, that was cocky. And I was like, I wanted him to see it so that if it happened again, he wouldn't go for it. Oh, uh, okay. Right? If he saw that it wasn't going to bother me, he's not going to do it again. Right? It's it's kind of like when guys get punched and they smile. Yeah. Right? It's 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 just it's a mind game thing, and that's with you know sports in general. A lot of it's mind game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't like and it, baseball's. I think starting to embrace it. The whole bat flip thing. You know, like like yeah. we we need to be okay with celebrating greatness instead of having these unwritten rules and getting worried about getting hit by a hundred mile an hour fastball because I flipped my bat. At the fact that I just dominated you.
1: Yeah, I did something that was good, so now you're pissed at me. Well, you know what? You should be pissed at yourself for throwing a fastball right down the down middle.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I want to say one of the pitchers might have been for the Cubs. I don't follow baseball too much, but he came out about one dude flipping his bat. He was like, he should. It was my fault. Like That's what we need in the game. We need the excitement.
1: Yeah, it was Trevor Bauer of the Dodgers.
0: Okay. Dude, Like, great. Thank God for him. Like that, that, yeah. that would make me watch baseball more if they celebrated. The NFL just did that. No fun league to celebrate, right? You just beat, dude, it's so hard to beat another man against his will. Like his job is to make you look weak, your job is to make him look weak, and you're both, you're, your life depends, financial life depends on it. Like yeah. that's hard to win that battle time and time and time again. So when you do, you should absolutely be able to celebrate. I agree. Yeah. It, it, if not, like, why are you doing it? It's just, it's not a game anymore. It's just a weird, like, robotic chess. to test. enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's terrible that people get on you about shit talking. If anything, you'd be uh, like,
1: yeah. It is what it is. <laughs>
0: right? Well, Pete, man, um, thank you so much for your time. But before you go, let me get you out of here on this.
1: All right. Ask it.
0: Do you, oh, I'm wondering, do you know how the getting to know you pod ends.
1: I have no idea.
0: Oh, when you said ask it, I thought you would be fourth. I really Uh, did. No idea. So shout out to the three guests who have come on and um, know the final segment of the getting to know you pod. So Pete, get ready to tell a story about yourself. Yep. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence waiting makes it worthwhile
1: the best story i'll tell you the best story i have is that what you want can
0: be absolutely man
1: all right so i got my first motorcycle at the age of five so the first time i ever rode my yz50 was in our cow pasture and i wrecked in cow shit and broke my arm and had cow shit all over my face in my mouth, in my ears. And when my mom picked me up, both bones in my left arm were broken and my left arm was hanging down. She takes me to the local hospital. They wanna do surgery. My mom is like, I don't want you to do surgery. So she takes me to Atlanta to where the doctor says, Pete, I'm gonna set your arm. If it hurts, you can hit me. The doctor sets my arm. I punch him right in the mouth. Cause his mouth to start bleeding. My mom wants to take me outside and whoop my ass, but she won't let him. I mean, he will he won't let her because he's like, no ma'am, I told him he could hit me. So at five years old, I punch a doctor in the mouth and cause his mouth to bleed.
0: Can, can, can we get back a little, can we get, do you have time to get a little into that? Some details about yeah, the whole what story? What do you want to know? Dude, I, I, it just sounds so interesting. Five years old, put like a YZ-50, put that into some perspective for a guy who... Uh, it
1: probably goes 50 miles an hour.
0: That seems like a lot for a five-year-old. I agree. Year
1: old. Hence why I maybe broke my arm. So why do you
0: have that at five years uh, old? Who gave that to you?
1: My mom had a motorcycle. My uncle had a motorcycle. My cousins had motorcycles. So we would ride them together. And we had you know a bunch of land, so we rode motorcycles. And other than that, I never really got injured again. Um, you know, so
0: like, did you sneak onto it, or were they there? They no, they put were you with on me. it. They trusted yeah, they, you on
1: it. Well, they were beside me as I rode it. You know, I assume they they trusted me, but I, I know a lot of people that have their kids with that now. It's silly, but oh, okay. I wouldn't let my daughters do it. I wouldn't let my six year old have a motorcycle. But yeah, broke my arm and in cow crap.
0: And so what did you, like, cra- crash through a fence? How do you wind up in cow shit?
1: No. Well, we were riding in the pasture where we had a bunch of cows. <laughs> so there's cow shit everywhere. Well, my back tire went in some cow shit and it's slippery. Got it. So it made me wreck. And when I wrecked, I tried to stop my fall and I broke my arm.
0: Gotcha. And the the shower situation, were you, like,
1: thinking think of just- it?
0: Or she just snatched you up and drove?
1: I think she snatched me up and kind of cleaned me off as best she could. But maybe because both arms and my left arm were broken, so you got to think if you hold your your left arm out. My arm was drooping between my elbow and my wrist because both of those were broken. So that probably freaked somebody out, you know, when your arm is hanging down. So I think she cleaned me off she best she could. Took me to the hospital. They wanted to do surgery. She didn't want to have surgery um both my aunts were nurses so they told her to take me to atlanta to one of the major hospitals what was she um,
0: against surgery for at that age just thought you were too young for growing or
1: i guess probably thought i was too young probably yeah
0: yeah i wasn't sure if it was like the hospital like a con we run into that around here so we're not super urban like our um closest hospital where people it would be dupont where people would trust it's like a hundred miles north Yeah. So like when, like some serious shit goes down, it's funny to hear stories about people being like, nah, I don't trust you little country people. Like we're going to go, you know? Well, you,
1: you, you gotta think, Hey, somebody had to finish bottom of the class in medical school.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, How vivid is the memory? Like when you're telling that story, man, can you, I don't
1: really remember it. It's just my mom and uncles have told the story so much, right? And when I was a little kid, I was, you know, I, I liked the aspect of fighting and wrestling and things like that. So if if somebody gives me a free chance to punch him, I'm going to take him up on it.
0: <laughs> do you, so then, do you or do you not remember like the doctor? As soon as it, yeah, actually, you know what? How do you punch him if you have the broken arms? Like they get, I punch
1: him with my right arm, so he sets the left arm, okay. and as soon as he does. I punch him with my right hand. I'm right-handed.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: So I, the only thing I remember is my mom wanting to whoop my ass. And the doctor saying, no, ma'am, I told him he could do it.
0: <laughs> that seems so Southern, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like, Southern. Like on just on multiple levels, right? Like the respect level. Your mom's probably thinking like, boy, you don't do that to your elders. And then the oh, doctor. Hey,
1: dude, I have so many stories of me being in church plays. And I was in a church play, you know, a Christmas church play. And do you know what Big League Chew is? Oh, the you used gum.
0: to love that. Yeah, didn't I it make had it a ginormous
1: wad of great Big League Chew in my mouth during the play. <laughs> and so you got to think I'm up on stage in front of the church and I have a big look like I have a chaw in. Right. And afterwards, my mom, I can just see her motion with her finger like, come here. <laughs> So she takes me outside, and I'm about to get my ass beaten. One of the old women in the church was like, "Patty, what are you doing?" And she's like, "You know, whatever." And she's like, "Patty, we've seen this play twenty times. That was the most interesting thing in the last ten years." <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a you. Know, I'm interested actually now in the philosophy the the spare the rod, spoil the child, like physical discipline to alter behavior. Uh, I-
1: so I will say this. I've never done a drug. I've never done a single drug in my life. I've never smoked weed. I've never smoked a cigarette. Never done that. Uh, I ha- I don't drink. Um, there was about a year in college I drank, but since then I don't really drink. So obviously they ask whoopin's help, but I've never been in trouble with the law. Never had more than a speeding ticket.
0: Really? So you really equate like just the discipline that comes from it or why? What What's the connection? Uh
1: I think it's the discipline, but I also think it's in not wanting to let my mom down and not wanting to let, you know, I was close with my grandparents, not wanting to let them down. But I I really do think if, you know, I don't know, I, in my opinion, not that I give my kids whippings, right. I probably might've given them two whippings their whole life. Right. And that's just a pop on the butt. Yeah. You know, but I think when, the problem is these kids don't have consequences when they get in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, putting somebody in timeout or saying, hey, you can't play with your iPad for two hours or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's not enough, right? It's not enough. I
1: don't think it's enough. It's,
0: it's, not, it's, it's not jarring enough. Um, so. I think
1: we're in an entitlement generation. And I think, you know, these kids, they just expect certain things. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong to whip. You know, like same thing when it comes to mask. right? I'm all uh, about freedom. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't. If you want to get a shot, get a shot. If you don't, you don't. Right. You know, I'm all about an individual's freedom of choice, and I'm not saying beat your kids. Of course not. You know, I, I'd never want to see a kid get a beating, but a pop on the fanny or anything like that, I think you're you're doing a kid your kid a disservice if you're trying to be their friend and not their parent.
0: Yeah. See, that's how I always thought of it. More as like I'm just showing you who's in charge. And I'm not doing it to have you grow up with fear, but I'm. I, there's going to be moments in your life, and I've looked at it like this for my daughter. Where, child, you're not going to have time to question me. You just got to know if I say it, it needs to be done.
1: Exactly. And, exactly. And, and it's the same thing with these parents that you see. These parents that tell their kid 19 times, "Don't do that again." Don't I'm going ca- to count. I'm going to count to three.
0: I'm going to set my timer. All right, this is yep. really the last time. Like, if I ever have yep. to say, "This is." The real last time, I failed.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, if my mom said, don't do it again, and I did it again, I was getting an ass whooping.
0: No doubt. Like, the closest I think, I don't know if I'm an all-star parent. I'm not trying to like, whatever. Maybe I'm cocky like you, right? But I really felt like one of the goals when I was a parent, well, not when I was a parent, as I became a parent, I thought to myself, You know, the worst you're ever going to do, man, is say, do I need to tell you twice? Like, that's going to be the limit to when I back down. So if I give an instruction and I even try to do this like teaching and it humbles me because it makes me think before I tell a kid whatever, like spit your gum out. I think like, what if he says no? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to let a kid punk me. Am I ready to escalate the situation? So like I agree.
1: I, I agree. I don't think you can let him punk you because then you lose respect and you lose everything from the 100%. other students.
0: Hundred percent. So as a parent, I always had that mentality of the, and in my mind, I don't know why it set in, but it was like, do I need to tell you twice? So I'm like, man, pick up your towels. Ah. Do I need to tell you twice? And if I say that and the child doesn't respond with what they were supposed to do, I failed because yep. I didn't make them understand that. Hey man, there there's a time, and I get maybe we're joking, but when you hear the tone, like you like it's, it's the
1: tone with my kids. Yeah, if it, it my needs to be tone done. changes. Then they know, all right, he's serious.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like that's healthy, and I don't yeah. know if that is a, like a cause and effect thing. With I, I spanked my daughter once. I pulled the I pulled the jeep over. I think she might have been two and a half, and she was crying over something stupid. And we've been working on like. Have a little control. Like, I'm sorry that you didn't get to buy your little toy. I'm not buying your toy. You don't have money. Like, I'm not spending whatever, 20 bucks on that. Yeah. Do you need to cry for 10 minutes? Like, let's get over this, right? Like, you're in inter- trouble. I'm like, child, if you don't stop, it's going to happen. I've been telling you it's going to happen. It is happening. You go and get spanked. And yep. she just kept going. Did it once. And it was this saying, like, if you do it right the first time, you don't ever have to do it again. Yep. And I, like... To she she doesn't remember it, but she remembers the story and she'll be like, oh, I don't want my dad to spank me. Like to this day, yeah. she'll be like, no, 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 no. When he gets serious, I, I just do it because I'm not trying to mess with him like that. Yep. And I do feel that sets like a healthy limit and respect for authority that can easily be missed with kids who are just placated.
1: I agree. And that comes with, when we go back to the authority, you know, I'm not saying what's right or wrong, but how... Uh, you know, people today don't respect law enforcement, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I think it comes back to teaching to respect authority figures. And I'm not saying they're always right. And I'm not saying the person's, you know, never right. Yeah. Of course there is. But if mm-hmm. I respect authority figure, then I can deal with the the shortcomings or whatever I feel like the wrongs were another day without an escalating into one of us doing something we should
0: yeah and yeah because uh similar to teachers like they're in that position for a reason and you just it it helps to de-escalate because they're they're trained almost to escalate maybe not to escalate but they're like that's their training is to assume worst case and then try to mitigate that try to try to immediately get control of a terrible situation before it gets completely out of control Yep. At least the cops that I've spoken to in Delaware, it's their number one goal is to assume authority over the position, over the situation. They walk in, they're the alpha. And that's exactly every decision they make is based around. I'm in complete control.
1: No. And, and I mean, I assume you have to be that way, but, you know, it always doesn't work out for the positive. But, for, sure, for sure.
0: For sure. Um, well, Pete, man, it was really nice uh, giggling through some stories, great insights into MMA and small business stuff. And um, thank you so much, man, for trusting my message, um, for believing in your country accent, which I still don't think is country <laughs> as hell, man. I got to be honest. Oh, with you.
1: When I hear myself when I shoot jujitsu videos or things like that. I'm like this is absolutely terrible.
0: <laughs> it's really, it really, really, it wasn't to me at all, man. I really no, enjoyed well, it. I
1: appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on, and you know, I enjoyed it. I, I like talking about different subjects, whether it's business, politics, jujitsu, basketball. You know, I like to think I'm kind of well rounded in everything, and can at least discuss things with a a little bit of intellect behind it, no matter what it is, right?
0: Yeah, man, definitely. And it's nice. It's nice to be well-rounded. And it's always nice to shoot the shit with people just from different areas to uh, gain some perspective. And it's funny, man, how like similar we can be being, it's got to be at least a 1,000 miles away, I think. Oh, Delaware, yeah. Delaware to Georgia, depending on where yep. you're at. Um, so yeah, uh,
1: so I'm south of Atlanta. So my hometown oh, is Newnan, in N-E-W-N-A, Newnan, Georgia. So you look that up, man, there's no telling how far away we are.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: But I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you, man. Enjoy the rest of your night.
1: All right, man. Thank you, Sean. Bye. And I've All become an on the subject I like most, Getting
0: to know you. Thanks to Pete for coming on the pod. Really appreciate your time, insight, and stories, my friend. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, Psyche, on social media. Give them a follow just for the fuck of it. If you have not already, please, speaking of following, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The word of the pod. Word of the pod alert. Heritage. Heritage, not heretic. Heritage is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the pod when you use it on yours and get a shout-out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. How to make it happen? Just message us. Later, Gator.